Welcome to episode 126 of the MX Vice Show. Today, we have Ed Stratman, Jason Thomas, and yes, you're hearing it, I am back from the wilderness. Uh, before the show started, I was just talking to uh, JT and uh, Ed just about how difficult it was for me to get Wi-Fi. So I feel like I've been in the 1800s or maybe like 1990 for about the past month. So um, it's really cool to be back. I've had uh, lots of travels. As you can imagine, lots of strange things happening to me like like they do. It's like I'm like a magnet to these things. Um, the show today is brought to you by Parts Europe. Parts Europe distributes spare parts, accessories, and rider equipment for all motorbike segments in Europe. We support the sporters, Fortified 3 to 4, and Moose House Brands, and their support of the world elite MX riders like Calvin Vlanderen, Jorge Prado, Lagenfelder, Guadagini, Jonas Bogers, and nine times world champion four ambassador, Tony Caroli. Your Parts Europe dealer has access to all the big brands for your motocross and enduro bike. Neck and Pro Circuit, FMF, ODI, Cycra, Renful Recluse, and many, many more are in stock and ready to be shipped. Check out our website at partseurope.eu or contact your local Parts Europe dealer. With a dealer network of over 10,000 shops, we're sure there is one close to you. So, Ed JT, um, you guys have literally been holding the fort down, literally. How is it? Yeah, life's good, mate, on my end, that's for sure. Yeah, everything's going good on the side. It's good to be uh, good, good to be speaking to you guys again. And, um, yeah, it should be another cracking round of MXGP, that's for sure. First, it was as good as the first part of the season. We should be in for a treat. Yeah, I'm, Sorry, I'm barely buddy. hanging on here. I'm uh, just been a long, grueling Supercross season, and we get we get one one staggering weekend off here before pro motocross begins. Uh, so the upside of that is I get to watch MXGP unimpeded because normally I'm watching it on airplanes and traveling and all these things, and it's pretty challenging. Uh, but I'll actually get to enjoy it and watch it from the comfort of home this weekend. Um, but yeah, I can't complain. Other than that, it's just been a really busy, you know, four or five months in a row. So you, you didn't, funny enough, you didn't fancy sort of getting on a plane and taking, taking a vacation? <laughs> Ed and I talked about that a little bit. I considered it because it would be nice, but, you know, I, I've been on airplanes nonstop and the weather has finally turned where I live here in Idaho. So I kind of looked around and I'm like, one, I don't really want to be in an airport. And two, I think the weather here is probably as good as it's going to get around the country right now. So happily i can just stay here and enjoy it i can kind of relate to that because when you kind of like think oh, i got a, i kind of got a weekend off or a couple of week weekends off with you know with the family and you think oh maybe we should go away and then it's like no because that's yeah. what i've just been doing <laughs> so actually being at home is quite nice where everybody else at home is like should we go away yep so um, yep. yeah, it's, 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 kind of a, it's kind of a weird one but when you're traveling that much jt it kind of breaks you a little bit doesn't it it just wears you down. It's really hard to, uh, you know, your health for one takes a toll because you're, you know, don't get enough sleep and you're around lots of strangers all the time and being introduced to all kinds of things. So you're fighting sickness and fatigue and all these things all the time. And you just, yeah, it's, you're kind of miss out on all the things that are going on at home as well. Um, so it's, it's nothing that I wouldn't want to do. I happily sign up for it, but, uh, it does, it does take a toll, um, and it's in its own unique ways. So uh, looking back on your first um, your first season uh, in front of the camera uh, at Supercross, uh, what's, what's been the, the biggest learning curve? I think just being comfortable. It's, it's challenging to be yourself and 
and to share your point because the biggest difference between what you know what we do on podcasts and what we do you know like pulp show and and this you know mx5 podcast these things we don't have very many time constraints so we can think about how we want to share the point and really work through complex conversations where on television you know you're really under the gun to get in and get out be quick be concise be thorough make eye contact all these things um and you, you don't get a do-over like it's live right it's not recorded so you either get it right or you look really stupid in front of you know a few hundred thousand people so it's it's a different dynamic uh you really have to work on calming down you know calming your breathing really focusing on what you're doing preparing what you want to say and for me it comes down to just relaxing and allowing it to happen. Uh, if you force it and you try to overthink it too much, you're going to stutter. You're going to fumble over your words. You're not going to get your point across. But if you allow yourself to just pretend like you're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation, it, it really does help. And that sounds so cliche, but it helps so much just to really try to get your breathing calm and say, okay, what point am I trying to make? How quickly can I do it? And yeah, just pretend like you're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a motocross fan at home. Cause in the end, that's what you're really doing. Yes. You're connecting with, you know, a lot of, a lot of fans at once, but you're really just trying to connect with a fan and get, you know, get a very interesting or informative point across. And if you can pretend that it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I think that really does help. And that, that's what I've really been trying to work on. Yeah, I definitely reckon you've yeah, added a lot of value to the the broadcast. Obviously, with your with your knowledge and expertise and experience, um, yeah, riding and you know, it's just sort of that sort of stuff you can't buy and you can't just get anyone to do that. So it was a smart decision by them, and um, good on you for taking it on, mate, because it's a it's a big challenge. And um, you know, just you know, dealing with that interview with like AP, like that's sort of thrown in the deep end stuff. All the breathing and everything probably goes out the window with that, and you're under the pump and. Yeah, you've done well dealing with all that pressure, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Now, you know, honestly, the stuff like that where I have to interview someone is a bit easier because I'm I'm just setting it up and letting them talk, right? The, the impetus isn't on me to share so much, but when I have to stand up and it's just me and all the focus is on me translating what I'm trying to say, to me, that's much more challenging and that's what I, I, I feel like I struggle with more. Uh, but the the interview stuff I, I don't I don't mind so much. so maybe that's a unique thing for me, but it's yep. it's just what I've found a little bit easier, a little bit more difficult. And what was your take on the uh on on kind of trying to be at the forefront, JT, but also trying to take in the actual riding and what's going on because I I struggle a little bit mxgp now because i'm doing a bit of filming i'm trying to update uh twitter live uh i'm trying to get as much information as possible when i'm not looking into a camera to then go in uh interview the guys on a on a sunday night for post-race podcast so do, do you kind of feel a little bit stretched sometimes when you're trying to try and take as much of what's happening uh you know at the race as well as you know having people in your ear in 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 all the rest yeah it's definitely challenging uh to kind of understand what's going on behind the scenes because there are, there are time windows that we need to get in and out of uh, that are there. It's fluid. Right. And if we plan on asking two questions and, you know, I'm talking to someone like M Marvin Muscan, who's, who goes really long and is, he really wants to take his time and thank everyone and explain what went on. Sometimes we have to pivot to, okay, we don't have time for that. Just got to go one question. Well, I'm trying to listen to him. So I know how to, 
get in and out of this interview, but I also have someone in my ear trying to tell me what the time frames are. So you really have to try to, it, it's not easy. Um, you almost have to have a filter of, okay, what's important and what's not. And sometimes I'm looking right through the person that's talking while I'm listening to <laughs> the producer that's in my ear and yeah, managing all that is uh, it's a skill, right? And I, I am certainly no expert by any means, but I'm, I'm learning quickly. Um, and that's kind of what I've been expected to do is just pick it up, pick it up fast. And don't, you know, if, if no one knows that you aren't an expert at this quite yet, that's, that's the goal. Um, so for me, the, the most important thing is I'm really enjoying this and um, it doesn't feel like work most of the time. And I, I always come back to the fact that if you told me when I was younger that I would get to do these things, I would have never believed you. I would have been so excited. So even on the toughest days where it's hot and you, you know, you're just, everyone's dreading being there or it's raining and you're walking around in the mud. Um, I always try to think about that mindset of how excited I would have been as a child or even as a teenager, if someone told me I would get to do these incredible things. Uh, and it, I, I think that truly helps with mindset. Um, if you can put yourself there, you, you put it in perspective of how truly fortunate you, you are to get to do some really cool things. Yeah, I can totally relate to that from from MX Voices point of view, from kind of stood it, you know, Farley Castle in in, in 1985, 1986, and just watching sort of Dave Forup in uh, Andre Maherb in Eric Gabor's in, in George Job in all that sort of stuff. And then, uh, you know, uh, you know, them being at MXGP events now in kind of talking to the riders and getting to know them and going out for food and in stuff like that. And it's just like, how, how has that happened? Yep. Yeah, it's uh, we're truly more fortunate that we give ourselves credit for a lot of the time. Um, so I, I really try to keep that perspective in mind. Um, most of the time, it's fine. I'm, I'm in a great mood and I, I feel very fortunate to be there. But on tough days or you're tired and, you know, you're having to get up to go to the airport at 4 a.m. like I usually am every Sunday, sometimes you just need a little perspective and you think about all the people that would literally do anything to be in your shoes. Um, so, yeah, just have to remember how lucky you are. Hey, I've got a really good one for you. So, um, uh, you know, I have these little issues with traveling and bits and pieces. A tiny bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is a really good one as well. So um, uh, I was a little bit tired when I booked my flight. I'm going to pull it down to the tiredness, um, not the Wi-Fi. Um, so in Spain, uh, I got up at four o'clock on uh, the Monday morning, got to the airport really early. And uh, literally had my bags all sorted, um, you know, just, and and for the first time I was, I was, you know, early, didn't have to rush. So um, got to the, uh, to the, to basically gate and the, the, uh, the woman said, oh, uh, you know, passport in, um, in there. And I was literally, yeah, I, I can't actually print my, um, my boarding pass out. So saying that I can't, I can't check in. So can you sort of just print mine out? She's like, yeah, no problem. What's your surname? And uh, anyway, the short, short story is basically I booked a flight um, for the day before. So, uh, so then I just kind of sat there going, ah, okay. So, um, and and like I, Jeremy's the video guy who I work with, I've kind of waved waved him off. I'm like, yeah, yeah bye. See you, see you later. And then I kind of like it's dawned on me, I could be in Spain for a while because I don't actually know when the next flight to the UK is. So um yeah, that was a little funny one which which happened to me. And um obviously I didn't have to get up that early. Um so yeah, I was kind of had like four hours sleep from editing the night before and um then 
was just like, well, what am I doing with my life? So I have a, I have a so, serious um, question. Yes. Are, are any, are any of these things intentional that you're doing? Because uh, <laughs> some of, some of these seem like they have to be pre-planned and you have a team of writers that are like, okay, what can we think of next that could go wrong? Oh, we've got it. We're going to book a ticket for the wrong day. And then ready, yeah. set, go. Yeah. It's, I don't, I don't know how I do it. Well, my wife knows how I do it because she reckons that I that I'm definitely a little bit autistic and I've definitely got ADHD. So um she said this is my this is where it all falls down because when I've well, I, I do one thing and then I'm concentrating on something else and then I do something else and then something <laughs> pops up. So um when I'm booking a flight, I'll be taking a call, sending a text message or something else and it's just like yep 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 dub, dub, dub. and I don't actually just concentrate on one thing which I should do. So I think I think this is probably the the root of of all my issues is that um, I should probably just concentrate on one thing at a time. So, but yeah, literally, these, these, things, <laughs> these things do happen. So um, I've got a flight into Geneva uh, for tomorrow. And well, I'm not Switzerland again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this time I'm being picked up. So um, no rental cars. Um, so we're all good. We're, 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 we're quite happy with this. What can go wrong? <laughs> Don't tempt fate. Yeah. So, so when are you going to be um, back on the mic at uh, GPs, JT? Is it? Do you think you're going to going to be back over to to sit alongside Paul? Yeah. The, so the plan is later in the season. Um, just the, the calendar is really challenging. Not not so much for MXGP, just just my personal schedule with with pro motocross and now super motocross. Um, I would like to try to make it to uh, either Sweden or Finland. I, I'm not sure exactly how that's going to go. Um, I, I'm, I'm have those tentatively penciled one of the two. Um, and then I'm looking at, as long as Matterly stays on schedule, mm. I would like to go to Matterly and then stay over and then go to France for motocross of nations. Um, at bare minimum, That's I'll be at cool. motocross of nations, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm working on adding some events to that. Ah, that's cool. No, that's cool. Um, Ed, we, we, we need to get you over for, for, for a, an event. Um, we, we need to sort this out. We need to get you over into, uh, nations, Europe, something. We need to get yeah. you out of Australia. Yeah, mate, we're definitely uh, keen to go. But uh, yeah, just with the you know with everything going on in the world, and it's it's obviously pretty tough for you, mate, trying to juggle a lot of different things. So um, I'm patient, mate. I'm, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm 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 loving what I'm doing anyway from here. And um, yeah, it's like what you guys were saying. It's definitely uh, sort of pinched myself. It's uh, I've only been doing the you know, MX Vice editor for maybe six months or a bit longer or something like that. But yeah, it's, I love it, mate. Get up every day at. Um, you know, two thirty on race days, AM or three thirty AM. I just love it. You know, so a little bit different. I'm not at the races, but I suppose it gives me. Um, I just look at it as though I'll get there one day, and it's pretty good for the site anyway. That I, I don't have to waste time traveling. I can just update things um pretty quickly, and so yeah, it's uh just loving it, mate. And yeah, definitely keen to get over there at some point and um see you guys in person. That's for sure. Well, it'd be quite cool to have an Australian GP at some point. I think everybody's wanting an Australian GP. Um, I was going to invite you over to Indonesia, but no one wants that ticket. Yeah, yes, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a one-way ticket to the uh, the toilet there, eh? Coming out all ends. I think I've spoken to a couple of riders this week, and I think they're all like, oh, "If only Indonesia was cancelled." <laughs> I don't think anyone wants to go. I think you're but, even um, missing that one, like, JT. Uh, no chance on that, mate. <laughs> no, no, you know. Like, I I had considered it um, a couple of years ago when when my schedule was much more open. Um, the challenge was is you know I, I could always justify 
going when we had uh, an attributable market for fly racing. It's just really challenging with Indonesia being able to connect with the local market there. Um, so as much as I wouldn't mind going and, you know, maybe going over to Bali in between or doing something like that, it just on a work level and, and trying to be fair to uh, my expense budget, it just didn't make enough sense, unfortunately. Uh, one thing I wanted to speak to you about, JT, um, was I've been spending uh, a bit of time with uh, Lucas and Sasha Coonan this year. I've yeah. uh, been doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff and um, really getting to know those guys and the family and uh, really, really cool guys, really cool family. The thing which kind of is really starting to strike me is um, they're under the same management company as the Lawrence Brothers. Yeah. And uh, we've seen what obviously we all know what jet and hunters done over the last sort of four years now in the U S um, Sasha and Lucas are 16 years old. Um, multiple times, you know, I've kind of spoken to them podcasts, uh, you know, just sat down ha hanging out in, in, uh, they're really switched on both of them, super switched on. They literally, they were just turned 16 at the start of the year. Um, twins, even though one's a lot taller than the other. Um, but one of the key things is they've they've watched um the Lawrence brothers uh you know over the last couple of years and they are determined to follow their program. So even down to the point like when I speak to Lucas, he's like, Yeah, our plan is to be in America in two years' time. Um, for the first um, you know, for the first year that we, we won't be doing supercross. We'll just settle into the country, um, we'll do some 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 motocross races and then we'll do the outdoors. Um, but there'll be no supercross. We'll work on that in the in the background. This is 16 years old, and they already have a program, an idea, like literally down to pretty much every detail. The, I find this quite fascinating. That the fact that we've got the, the Australian imports coming into uh, into the US at the moment, and then there's these two Belgian kids which speak English, Flemish, and um, French, um, and they already have their their whole like the next five, 10 years all mapped out. It's, and when we see what um, Lucas produced in uh, Spain, we've seen little, little, just little tweaks of it, like second in, in qualifying race. And I think I asked you this previously, has the excitement started to to get anywhere yet in, in America or are people just still a little bit kind of don't really know who these guys are? Yeah, I would say most don't. Um, you know, I think... They're, the people that are in the know, you talk to industry insiders, people that work for for com industry companies or OEMs, they do. But your average fan, they they truly don't yet. Um, they've you know they don't follow EMX and the MX2 results haven't quite shown up yet, um, which will help. But you know, for the average American fan, they follow MXGP casually, so they know the Jeffrey Hurlings and Febra, and they know those guys mostly from motocross of nations but yeah your your obscure outliers riders that are on the rise things like that they, they're just not very familiar with and, and it's something that i have been working to change like that's a big part of why uh you know in front allows me to be a part of the broadcast crew is to add some american uh familiarity to the series so hopefully over time that becomes less of a thing you know they they the world is becoming smaller and smaller, unless you're like James and you don't have Wi-Fi. Uh, for most of the world, 
it's it's becoming a very small place. Um, so as that transition happens, of course, when they do make the move to America, that will all change very quickly. But I think, yeah, to your point, for many fans, they're all going to be wondering who are these Kunin twins when they show up. Uh, well, meanwhile, the rest of the world's been watching them race for the last couple of years. Because it's, it's the thing which kind of strikes me is just their intent. It's just like the the level of detail that them and their family have gone to to, to map this out, and obviously having Wasserman behind them, um, yeah, you know they're going to be, you know, they're going to have everything they need to succeed, aren't they? Yeah, and I think you said it there. I think uh, you know Lucas Myrtle it has the roadmap for how this needs needs to go. You know they they lived through it with Hunter and Jet. So they know what to do, what not to do. Um, they understand the the challenges of it, uh, the timing. So thankfully for the Kunin brothers, they don't have to figure these things out on their own, you know, and, and it, it's going to be their own unique journey, but so many pitfalls and lessons were learned with Lucas and the uh you know the Lawrence brothers that can be avoided and can be improved frankly improved upon uh so that that transition will be much easier so I think when you hear either of the the twins speaking about this I think they're just reiterating what they're hearing from I'm sure their parents and and from Lucas Myrtle because they don't they don't necessarily have to know exactly what they're supposed to be doing or how this is going to go they have very wise people and experienced people that are kind of drawing this plan up for them. Yeah, it's well yeah. said. And obviously, um, in the preseason, I spoke to Lucas back in January and he just won that Spanish opener, the, the Spanish MX opener. And he was, yeah, it struck me just the, the composure and the, yeah, like James said, the intent, like a very calculated and pretty intelligent approach. They've all got, you know, the dads obviously put them on the right path. And he obviously sort of came into the season with a lot of momentum, going back to EMX as well, where he won seven of the last eight motos and, three of the last four overalls and kind of just ran out of time to Pip Elzinger because he obviously banked the points. But, um, yeah, it's an impressive individual. Uh, yeah, I know I could probably speak for myself and uh, possibly James even. I don't know about you, JT. At, uh, at 16, you're probably a little bit more focused than maybe James and I were. But, uh, yeah, it was that struck me because it's pretty loose programs for most kids. And, yeah, the maturity was um, pretty amazing. Um when you sort of contrast that to other other people or myself at that age. So just, yeah, just the, the one-minded, I don't want to waste any time. I want to do all my work now, get as good as I can. And then two years, um, yeah, hit hit the Supercross scene and just put yourself in good stead because they still want to make that mark in GPs as well. They want to go there with a bit of a base and know that they've had that high-level experience and competitive ferocity that you get in that class. And the speed's definitely been there. Um, for Lucas, Sasha's obviously been dealing with the injury, but the speed's immense and just glimpses, but had mistakes, which is all part of the process and had some bad luck too. And once he gets those starts going, like you see, it'll be, um, it'll be pretty much podiums. You know, I expect a few podiums probably like most people will. Yeah. I, I am always impressed by riders who can be that mature at such a young age. Um, and, and maturity comes in different forms, you know, for, for them, uh, I haven't, I have personally haven't spoken to them, but it sounds like their off the bike maturity level is, is very impressive. Uh, for Jet, I was, I'm always still to this day impressed by his maturity level on the motorcycle. And it's just a unique, everybody's a little bit different in, in how they express that maturity, but Jet tru truly races like he's 30 years old. And I don't think he knows what that 
even means because how is how would he's he's never been 30 years old but i've watched these you know these guys race my entire life several generations of them and you can see when riders make foolish mistakes their their thought process is not mature enough they aren't they don't aren't using any foresight at all um they're riding off emotion too often and and they're not thinking big picture and when i watch jed i don't see any of that um he's he's calculated he is willing to allow certain things to happen at certain times because he knows that's not it's not a critical juncture and he can wait someone out. Um, and I would invite you, if, you, if you're kind of wondering what I mean by all that, you can go back and watch pro motocross season last year. There were several motos where riders are going a little bit faster than him. Levi Kitchen at times, Joe Shimoda at times, and he wouldn't panic. He wouldn't even really be concerned. He would kind of just, just manage them a little bit. Like he would find their speed. What are they doing differently? Calmly assess what kind of the, the dynamic was and then put into action a game plan of how to manage that. And then he would either maintain his lead or, or pull back away. And uh, that's just so rare at any age. Forget about, you know, him at 18 or 19. Uh, it's just not something we, we often see. So it'll be interesting to see as the Coonan brothers mature, you know, age wise, if that racecraft comes into play too, because when I watch them, I see a little bit of, I see crazy talent that's apparent, but I see a little bit of chaos still there. You know, he threw away Nick that does. a really good moto finish last weekend. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's a work in progress for them. But again, yeah. Thinking about how young they are. If you threw me into an MX2 moto at 16, for one, I was nowhere near fast enough to, to be in that situation, but I would have been a mess mentally. I wouldn't have been able to process all the things that were going on. So um, yeah, they're going to mature at their own pace. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you can see the flashes start to come. Like they're already starting to break out and run the pace and do those things at, uh, at a really young age. There's a couple of things, um, which I can add to that, which will give you an idea of their personalities and mindsets. So when, when you speak to Lucas and, uh, you know, like I'll say to him like eighth place, you know, that was good. He's like, nah, shit. He goes, I've got no interest in being eighth place. He said either I'll, I'll win or I'll crash. Because if I'm not, if, if I, I, you know, I'm not trying, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm an eighth, he's, he is that black and white. And I just find that hilarious because it's like, uh, well, I, I'm either going to win or I'm going to crash. That's, that's it. I'm not interested in being sixth, eighth, 10th, 12th, none of, none of it. Just, I want to win. And, um, yeah, and I think I kind of go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry, JT. I was, and and the second thing was was I kind of said to him, I said, oh, you know, like because they're based in in Berets, which is a beautiful place down south of France, really good for surfing. Like as you can imagine, beautiful paradise. And I was like, oh, you know, do you guys surf or 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 anything? And they're like, nah. They looked at me as though like I'm weirdo. Like, no, nah, we don't do anything. We just ride. And and I'm like, well, like in the week, do you like what what do you do? And they're like, we ride. <laughs> and it's like that's it. <laughs> I, we ride that's our life we we enjoy riding we we don't need to do anything else we we love riding so um the, yeah it's just it's just that mentality of like uh i'm gonna win um if i don't win then i'm not i don't enjoy being enjoy being eighth and uh all i want to do is ride and it's just that uh that, that I, I you know that youthful exuberance of just you know no fear no consequences just you know it's, it's quite refreshing i guess yeah, it's, you know, I think that they have 
sense an opportunity, you know, and, and I'm sure they do enjoy it too. Uh, but when you, when you speak to, we always compare, you know, compare the Lawrence brothers to these guys for obvious reasons, but um, speaking with Hunter and Jet, especially Hunter, because he had more perspective on it, but he knew and still does the sacrifices that were made uh, to afford the opportunities that they have. And it just wasn't a situation where you could afford to be focused on anything else. There was too much at stake and the opportunity was too great to waste your time, not being a hundred percent all in. Um, and I think that that mindset arrives for different people at different times. Um, it didn't come to me until much later when I realized, okay, I've foregone higher education. Uh, my parents have sacrificed a lot. And if I don't make this work, there aren't, many great alternatives from here you know i've i've chosen this path and i've committed to it so now i need to make good on it and it seems like they've already figured that out at 16 uh which is incredible because that's yeah. going to serve them very very well uh and if they if they truly enjoy it as you said like they're just like no we we just we like to ride that makes it so much easier because it's not a it's not a chore at that point you're you can be all in and you can be a hundred percent dedicated to your craft and not feel like it's a job, which not everyone can say that, you know, for a lot of people, they, it is fun on something, but there are a lot of days where you just don't want to do it, but you know, you have to do it anyway. Uh, but there have been guys over the years I've seen that they just, they just love going and riding their motorcycle. And, uh, I, I wish I was that way. I was dreading it most of the time. I did the work anyway, but I wasn't enjoying it a lot. And those guys, they were just had a smile on their face. And I'm like, man, I wish, you know, it, it must be nice to be you because, this is really hard and we're, we're putting in tons of work and sweating and it's a million degrees here. And uh, yeah, you just seem like you're having the time of their life, your life. So um, hopefully that's the case for them because that's, that's a great gift to have. Yeah, definitely yeah. a good point on the all in. Obviously you look back at the Lawrence brothers, you look back at Chad Reed, um, you know, guys from Australia and South Africa or New Zealand. And I suppose, do you think both of you guys, do you think it rings true maybe a bit more the all in thing? Cause you see, obviously they've moved, they, you know, sell up, sell up things, move across the world. And even speaking to someone like Camden McClellan, the South African in MX2, who I'm pretty sure he's going to be back this weekend after the injury. Um, Just, yeah, he just they, yeah, he said the, the gravity of the situation that what their parents go through, like his dad still lives back in South Africa working and, you know, to to help finance the, the their riding, you know, because, you know, the mum's over there, I think, with his brother. And it's just, it's a lot of work and a lot of goes into it. So what are your guys' thoughts on the all-in thing and, yeah, even Binder and, you know, Jack Miller, those guys in MotoGP, they went over so young and look where they are now. It's uh, They certainly go all in because they, they see firsthand what goes into it. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, the other thing to uh, to give you a little bit of perspective as well is um, Lucas and Sasha only got on the bike eight years ago. So in eight years, they've gone from, you know, just putting their you know, leg over a bike for the first time to Lucas finishing second in the qualifying race in, in the world championship. I think that that's when you start to think that the kind of talent that, that they've got in within eight years, they can, you know, they're, they're basically riding against, you know, Yago Gertz and, and other people that have been doing this for quite a, quite a while. Um, I, I think for me, it's just kind of, I, I guess I'm a little bit excited because I, I, you know, I, I can see the potential of what these 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 guys got. The only the only thing which is a little bit sad is that we're probably only going to see it for about two years in Europe before they do take the trip over to America. 
but you're right they have to have that all that all in um mentality and and i interviewed uh guillo on um or guillo on um uh post-race podcasts uh in spain and and he was he was right he kind of said like i made loads of mistakes you know from women to lots of other distractions partying and uh yeah partying he likes to party uh and and now he's he's in the right place and and we're seeing the results because he's just dedicating his whole life now to to moto uh, and what he's doing now is trying to uh, steer the steer the young riders on on the right path. So um, I, I think it is that thing, and the amount of sacrifice you have to make, it is all or nothing. Yeah, I mean, you look at every every true, truly successful champion we've seen over the last, let's say, twenty five years. Because I, I think before that, the dynamic was a little different. Uh, guys like Lachine and and some of those guys were able to, you know kind of go a different direction. I don't think they were necessarily all in, but with, with the, you know, with the rise of guys like Ricky Carmichael and these guys, I, I think the game just changed and they brought, you know, if, if you talk to Jeff Emmerich or McGrath or these guys, they all blame Ricky for kind of ruining it because everybody could put in some training, do some partying and, we could all get by, right? If everybody was everybody was doing the same thing, then great. Nobody really had to go all in, as we say. But once Ricky came in and changed the fitness expectations and he forced everyone to be like, okay, well, I guess we're going to have to put the fun and games away and, and go to work. Um, ever since then, you just look – and you could, all, you could blame Alden Baker too because Alden Baker really brought that level of professionalism and attention to detail along with him. And ever since then, man, every champion, it's really hard to find one where you could be like, yeah, I don't know. Like he was kind of doing it, but kind of not. Like it just, that was not the case. Um, when you saw Stewart go to Alden Baker, you saw him rise to a level he had never been at before. And then Villapoto and Dungey and just the list goes on and on of guys that are truly dedicated to their craft. And there, there is nothing else. Like they have one track minds and it's winning championships in supercross and motocross. And that's, that's just what it takes these days. You, you can't be half in half out and expect to, to find success at a, such an elite level. Yeah, that's a very good point. And you, you look at, you say that sort of attitude and approach rings true with guys like obviously Hurlings, who's just a, you know, like an alien. He's just a savage. He loves it. He's just got an insatiable appetite for work and success and doing what he can to, to get there and same as a guy like Renault James you know extremely well um done some cool um interviews with him and some shows and some series and yeah you can just sense and speaking to him after Switzerland when he won and he was just like yeah there's more there's still more to come and obviously it's horrible he's going to be out now with that foot injury and and a little interesting anecdote from both of them from Lorenzo he said after um Hurlings came over to him after that foot injury because he's been through that whole drama and had so many operations getting himself back he said gave him a little bit of advice um, on how to go ahead with the treatment and, and what the best options are. Cause I think, I think he had something like seven operations. So uh, even despite all that, all that going on, it was pretty cool that Jeffrey took, took some time to go over and just sort of yeah, send his condolences and just offer his um, thoughts. But yeah, they're, they're, they're just a different, different breed, aren't they? And you, you know, you see that firsthand JT and James, you see him at the races and it's pretty impressive. It's got to be admired, even though it is to their detriment sometimes. Yeah, what what do you yeah, guys think of the uh, what do you guys make of the I w- I'd like to thank myself comment? <laughs> that's that's been a really big that. talking point that's over in Jeff. America. 
Yeah, that's just that's, that's just Jeffrey. I mean, this is the I guy agree. that told everybody that he was going to come over to America and went one one. He he said like without a doubt, I'm gonna I'm gonna win one one. Like that's Jeffrey. That's that's what's won him so many fans uh, and so many people. Like if you look at any any sport where somebody is basically saying, you know, I am great, I am going to be the best. You know, whether it's Muhammad Ali or or, or whatever, you know. People, people love that. People, you know, first, you know, in the UK, I think you've only got to look at the UK audience for how great uh, a turnaround Jeffrey Hurlins is because that year he beat uh, Tommy Searle to the title. Like literally every English fan, you know, wanted to murder Jeffrey Hurlins. <laughs> he absolutely loved every single minute of that year and he played up to it as well. And it, it, I'd love to get both Tommy and, and, and Jeffrey to talk through that whole year and the people around him because it would just be hilarious because the, 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 just the things what went on in the background um, between the two of them. But again, like, you know, Jeff, Jeffrey has to, has to have that mindset. You have to have that mindset, I believe to be great. And, and, the one thing with Jeffrey is he's backed it up. <laughs> like, and, and you can say that with every true champion across all sports. Um, it must be, you know, never get for someone like me. It's just your average Joe. You can only just dream, dream of, of that. But when you're that good at something and you play yourself, you know, as much as these people do, then they have to believe they're great because that's part of the, the mindset. Hey, GT. Yeah, it is. It's interesting to me. Um, I've just, I've never been a big fan of that type of racer or athlete or whatever. I'm, I'm such a fan of humility. Um, but I, I do think, but I, when I, when I look back on my own racing, I was such a prick most of the time. Like I, I really was <laughs> like, I wasn't, I, I totally was. I wasn't nice to people. I wasn't <laughs> outgoing. I wasn't generous with my time. Um, so it's really hard for me to look down on Jeffrey for comments like that because I know I was the same way. And, and then I have to think, okay, well, why was I acting that way? And I, and I felt like I needed to like keep this edge, right? There's, there are so many mind games and your self-confidence and you truly need to believe like, hey, I'm – okay, for me it wasn't – I didn't believe I was the best guy. But it was – believing that you belong there and you have your place in the sport. And, you know, I should be a top 10 guy in, in American supercross and motocross. And you need to keep that edge because someone's always trying to take it from you. Right. And, and for Jeffrey, that's the case. Like everyone knows Jeffrey is the man to beat, whether he's the points leader or not, everyone deep now, deep down knows that he has 102 GP victories and everybody knows he's the fastest motocross rider alive. And all, all these things are not, lost on people so he knows that he needs to maintain that and i think it it's who he is as a person but it also allows him to keep that edge and he he is the alpha male and and mxgp especially you know so there comes yeah. a little bit of uh, machismo with that and i don't think he really cares what people think you know like guys like steve mathis and these guys always I don't think they enjoy comments like that. I know he talks about it on his shows and, and they're, they have a little bit of a rivalry going, but for me, yeah. just like you said, that's who Jeffrey is and take him or leave him. I don't think he cares. I don't think he cares if you like him, but I can guarantee you when he's on his motorcycle, you're going to respect him. 
Oh yeah, and the, I I admire him for for the way he is because I can be like either. I'm I'm very much you know humility is 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 my thing. But the fact that when he was out injured in um in geysers like you know uh, just coming into the season and Jeffrey just drops the Instagram post with I'm just bought my 68th house. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's Jeffrey. You know, he's he's gonna yeah. fuck with your mind, whether he's injured, he's on the bike or whatever. Like he is the king of mental games in, yeah, in like MXGP it. and no yeah. quite close to that. But the other thing as well is we haven't got anybody as big and as good and is and has the person personality of Jeffrey Hurlins in MXGP. So when he goes, he is gonna be sorely missed. And going back to the point of of the way he turned around the UK fans was you imagine a whole generation of UK fans hated Jeffrey Hurlins for beating Tommy Searle, but now geez, they absolutely adore him. Like every, like literally every motocross fan in the UK loves Jeffrey Hurlins. You know, forget yeah. and, he beat for, Tommy Searle. Totally. For me, it's, I really appreciate excellence. Um, especially in a field where I know very much how difficult it is because I, I did it for so long and I couldn't imagine being at the level that Jeffrey Hurlings just hovers at. you know, he just, he just lives in that space and I couldn't imagine being there once. So for me, I kind of shrug my shoulders. If he says things or does things, maybe not in the manner that I would do them. Guess what? Every time he gets on his motorcycle, he did things in a way that I wouldn't do it because I couldn't do it. So I, I kind of don't care say what you want, do what you want. And if you have a, if you are a person that has a big problem with it, go do something about it and good luck with that. Yeah. He's an absolute animal. And I, I like what you said on our last podcast, JT, about the revenge racing um, side of it. Now he's just got that massive edge mm-hmm. and he's doing all these extra races and he just wants to get up to that absolute peak level to kind of destroy the competition. And he made that little comment after the qualifying race that he's happy to let you know, Prado have that have that win in front of his fans, and then oh, I'll get the business done when it really matters on race day. So he's um, yeah, he's definitely sort of playing those mind games, and everyone certain stands certainly stands up and listens to his comments, and and he's a he's a he's a funny guy how he's so aware of all the records. Like I've got more moto wins than Stefan. I've got more overall wins now than him. Like he's he's just so all over it. Whereas um, like Lorenzo was saying, Tony he was writing a book with him and you say, Oh, you remember that race where you came back from last to, you know, first. And he's like, no, nah, he doesn't remember all that stuff. Whereas Jeffrey, he's just so on the pulse of all these little details in his career and what he's been through to, to get to it. And I suppose maybe leaving so many titles on the table, maybe you should have seven, eight, nine uh, by now. Did, do you guys think that, uh, yeah, that's just the way he is and, and, and what goes into it is a crazy. And do you think that how many wins do we reckon he gets? Do we reckon he gets to 125, 130 in the overall scheme of things? Yeah, I can't. yeah, he's I got think... two-year contract ATM. Yeah, I can't see him doing anything else. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think every everybody's motivated by different things. Uh, for me, it was financial rewards. That's why I was I went and raced all over the world, just because I wanted to try to make as much money as I possibly could while I was getting to do such a great thing as a profession. For Jeffrey, I, I think he's chasing those records. He's chasing ghosts really he's chasing Stefan Evers he's chasing Cairoli's world titles he's chasing and those that's what drives him that's why he talks about him all the time that's why they're on his pit board that he he constantly is reminding us of those things so you can tell if he's telling us about them all the time think about what's going on inside his mind at quiet times what's driving him when he's on his bicycle or training during the week uh so 
again, everybody's motivations are different. You have to find what your pressure point is and really lean into that. You know, for me, I would think about, okay, if I can get these positions at these races and go win, go race Barcelona, get top three, I can make this money. And that would drive me. That's, I knew that's what was important to me, but for Jeffrey, I think he has to think about, okay, can I get to 125 GP wins? Can I get to approach that 10 world titles, which seems like it's going to be really challenging. But I think those are the things that he thinks about during the week and the, in the hardest of days when he's like, I don't want to ride anymore. I'm, I'm really sore. I don't want to be here, but you need something. And if you have that person in your corner that can say, well, if you don't do it, you're probably not going to get 150 MXGP wins or whatever, you know, whatever his goal is. Um, yeah. I think you have to lean into those things. Yeah, he 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 is just a you know a, an amazing you know a, a very um, a, a super smart guy. And you got to think that his biggest competition now is is Prado. You know, Prado's still really young, um, could still be an MX2 class if he wanted, but Prado's you know there for another eight nine years, ten years even. Um, and not only that, we all know how good Prado is at starting. So Jeffrey is always going to be chasing Prado at the start of every MXGP race. So he is going to try and use every single mind game he's going to have. It's going to be a, a, a cracking season just with what he's going to pull out. And um, and I think you know, I'd you know, I'd like to thank myself. It again is kind of you know, is that you know, that's like I thank myself, but is that KTM group, which is part of, you know, gas, gas, you, you, you don't know the level he's going um, with his mind games. That might be, that might be, uh, you know, you know, again, ruffled towards um, uh, Prado's team. You, you just don't know what he's playing at. He, he's on a different level. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Prado is, he has youth on his side and he's going to put himself into good position most of the time with his, unique ability to get good starts almost all the time. Um, for years, I, I questioned whether he had the dedication on the fitness side to really, to get there. Um, I think I always thought that was his weakness. I felt like he wasn't quite as all in as guys like Tony Cairoli and Jeffrey and, and Tim Geiser and whoever he was really competing against. But it seems like some of the influence that Tony Cairoli has had is, is giving him some good guidance, right? Of like what it's going to take, how truly dedicated you have to be. Uh, and, and if you remember, Jorge went and rode with Tony years and years ago uh, in Italy. He would stay, he stayed in Rome for a while. And I think he got a glimpse of it, but you can start to see that maturity coming in where, hey, if you truly want to beat the best of the best, yeah, it's going to take a lot more hard work than I think you were doing before. You know, you were relying on talent. You were plenty good enough to beat Vial and Geertz and these guys. But if you want to go beat the best there is, it, it can't be halfway. It has to be all of you. Um, because on the hard days when it's really hot and you start suffering, that's when you need to be able to rely on your fitness. And in the past, he simply wasn't able to. Yeah, absolutely. And we've spoken about the base that he's missed through all those injuries. And, you know, you know Jeffrey's uh, you know, he's missed a lot of time as well, obviously, but those heavy hitters have got so much years of experience racing at that elite level. And, you know, just look at Geisen before the injury, he just had that constant, constant, he didn't get injured too much. And that's what Prado says he's fighting against. And, I, and he's just points to the fact that he's still so young and he's obviously missed the podium at his home GP. 
Uh, he's obviously doing really well in the qualifying races, still struggling a little bit, especially in those second motos when he doesn't get the start. So to you, James, do we think that he gets back and sort of tries to reassert his dominance on the series in France at a track that he will probably be very good at as well? Um, going to be tough. It's, I think there's some track changes from the last time we were there. I think 2017, when I believe Hurlings did win and Covington won in MX2. And I think go back to 2015 and February won his first GP uh, there as well. So should be a pretty cool weekend, I think. Do you think Prado gets back into it, James? Yeah, the, the the track they've put a lot of work in. I spoke to to Pascal, um, the French journalist from Moto. Uh, Moto Is he the Brute. one that's been covering uh, since nineteen seventy eight? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. he's. I, I don't know if this is four hundred. Is it four hundred or six hundred or five? Yeah. He told me in Spain. And I was like, how? Like, <laughs> how do you go to? And I think he's like missed one. Um, mm. Like, it's just insane. Like he's been ever present since yeah sixty eight. So him and Massimo. Who is an Italian guy? That I, like, I think Massimo has been there four years longer than than Pascal. It's like Jesus Christ. Like, I just hope I live that long, let alone go to GPs. I mean, it's a miracle I get to like eight GPs a year with my travel record. But with um the French uh, Villers is supposed to be the track is supposed to be even better. But the the going to the point of, of Prado, I think um if you look at the the points at the moment, uh, I think there's like six points which separate or something. It's very, very small. But if you look at the uh, Prado's qualifying compared to Jeffrey, that's where he's making the points up. And I think if he can continue with getting the good starts, getting the 10 points at qualifying, and he can get race one, I think that's constantly going to put the pressure on Jeffrey to to keep him on his game, which obviously we know Jeffrey can do that. But it's going to be a long season. And, and I think these qualifying races are really going to start to, um, especially when you get to sort of round 15, 16, I think they're really going to start to matter. So... It'll be interesting to see if we start to see um, Jeffrey put more impetus into um, the qualifying races on the Saturday. But whether he wants to or not, you, who's going to out outgate Prado at the moment? Good luck there. Uh, I don't. I don't know if there's anybody <laughs> really on the planet that can. Um, it, he's just too consistent, you know. And the the big thing with starts in the past, you were facing different dirt, different dynamics. Like it could be tacky, and, and that just offered a little bit of variance, but now MXGP and, and pro motocross is shifting to this for the first time this year. The, the great starts, you know, grid takes all that away. Yeah. You know, it's the same consistent motion, same ECU map, same RPM, same tire, same everything. Uh, so if you have that figured out, it's just rinse and repeat, right? If you can make that a repeatable motion, you're going to get a good start almost every single time. And that's what Jorge Prado coupled with, incredible reactions yeah find himself at the front every time yeah it's yeah. gonna, be, gonna I, be tough to get out of the gate isn't it sorry james i'll just quickly um yeah talking about prado and obviously he'll probably want to beat fernandez as well after fernandez got on the box at his home gp and um was very impressive in portugal as well um you get the feeling um fernandez is coming on pretty well he's dealing with that one man awning with tim geyser out pretty well like i suppose you you know it's easy to sort of make comments but like there must be a lot to do to deal with the, developing the bike um a lot of pressure being the hrc guy all those fans especially the last two rounds and the atmosphere and everyone wanting a piece of him he's doing pretty well for just his second year in mxgp um he's getting that consistency first year on a factory bike um i wrote a quick art analysis article on it and he's obviously got the win he's got one moto win two overall podiums four moto podiums and seven top five moto finishes so uh, it's pretty cool to see him piecing it all together obviously 
he had a good spell last year. He's obviously got two podiums, lots of top fives, and was sort of we were sort of finding that consistency. Had that crash at Lockett, sort of brought him back down again. But um, yeah, the Prado Fernandez battle is going to be a pretty good subplot, isn't it, James? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Fernandez has been really impressive this year. I, I, just a couple of those mistakes are starting to creep in, like he had in MX2. Yeah. But overall, it's been it's been way better than previous years. The thing which, uh, you know, probably the people don't see is the amount of time he spent with fans in Portugal and Spain. It was crazy where most people were kind of resting. He's out taking photos, um, literally. And, you know, as you can imagine, he had a lot of uh, uh, Spanish media following him throughout the whole day. Like, you know, even, even with me, I was trying to do some behind the scenes stuff and trying to get five minutes of his time in a whole weekend was just impossible. So the fact that he was able to handle all that and still go out and get a second in moto two was super impressive um he's a very relaxed um you know you know character like very sort of laid back he, he, he another guy who's just like happy to have the opportunity um you know being under the hrc awning you know is is, is means everything to him i've got to know him a little bit sort of this year a lot more than i have done in previous years um he's definitely one that's impressed me as like i said in previously Maxime Renault for me was the the one which would probably could have um, you know stoked that 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 sort of turned it into a three way championship, and I think Fevre kind of um, obviously with the concussion protocol going on uh, wisely stepping out of um, Spain, which was a, again which is a real shame because that would have put into with Maxime and in, in, in Fevre sort of you know taking knocks in Spain that would have put a nice four way title. Um, together the only thing which um which i would say is even though fevra's um you know lost a, a, you know a whole gp i still think he's going to be there or thereabouts at the end of the season everything i've seen this year apart from uh the first race in sardinia where he just looked i don't know what happened in the first race um but he just wasn't himself but every time i've seen him on the bike he he does seem to be that guy who has the potential to be anybody when he has when he has that, you know, that Fevre-esque French, um, I'm I'm just going to destroy everybody. So I, I I don't, even though he's still sort of 80 points down already, I, I, I still don't count him out. So I do think it will be a little bit closer with um, the top few. Um, what do you think, JT? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, I, I I think it's just going to be a two-horse race from here. I think, I think, uh, I think Prado and, and Jeffrey may start to separate themselves just because I, I'm not sure if Fevra can find the consistency and, and you're going to need to win. I, I think mm. to be champion, I don't think you're going to be able to hang around in third, fourth and fifth and be champion um, with the qualifying races and the way Prado has been so great in those, he's going to add a bunch of hidden points there. And then Jeffrey, he just looks like he's ready to get on a run here. And, and truthfully, the only person that I think can beat Jeffrey in this championship is Jeffrey. And if he does that, then I think Prado will be there ready to pick up the pieces. Um, as much as I was hoping for a huge, you know, five or six way fight for this championship, I just don't know that we're going to be fortunate enough to get it. Yeah. I don't think we're getting the seven winners like we got last year. That's for sure. Maybe just, uh, just February, maybe might get one and, yeah, it's probably going to be hard for a lot of those other guys to hustle in. Maybe Siwa or Koldenoff can come in. But, um, yeah, Fevre, with the concussion, he obviously was extremely keen to race on the Sunday after that incident in the qualifying race. Um, and we saw Jeremy last year with his concussion 
in Argentina. It took him a long time to to feel comfortable in himself and on the track and get that speed back. Um, for maybe you, JT, being a racer, do you think that Febra is going to have any issues getting back to his level quickly? Because he obviously had a concussion many years ago. It took him a little while to, to get over. So how, how is it for you as a rider dealing with things like that and then coming back to race pretty quickly? Yeah, I think it's, you know, head injuries are, are unique to each person. Um, I have was fortunate to only have a few, but I can say it was really interesting because I, I had one at Millville in 2001 that I, I remember vividly. I remember how I felt laying on the ground and after the race. Um, it's it just one of those days that I, I even it's as weird as this to say, I'll never forget, even though most people can't remember a head injury like that. Um, and I, I was fine. I raced the next weekend. This is long before we knew a lot about concussions and the long-term ramifications of it. But I raced the next weekend in Binghamton, New York, which is Broom Tioga National. Everything was fine. Uh, and then we went to the finale, which was at the now defunct Steel City. And back then we had a two-day program, much like MXGP does. Uh, but for the seated riders, if you were in the top 20 in points, we just had a casual practice, two casual practices on Saturday, which was great. There was no pressure. We could just sort the bike out, we're in the track a bit. It was a really low-key atmosphere nobody there was no pressure and and being the last race it was very much like that too so i remember going out practice and i just tipped over in a corner no big deal um i think i just caught a caught an edge in a rut or something and fell over but when i i barely hit the ground i didn't even hit my head or anything i just kind of fell to the ground and, and braced myself with my arms i was so incredibly dizzy sitting there on all fours um and that was just two weeks after my concussion. So I felt fine. I would have never known I had a concussion. And I was like so dizzy trying to like not fall over. And I was like, wow, this is from that concussion. You know, there should be no, there was no symptoms, no nothing, but I just, just that sudden movement two weeks later. Uh, and I was, I literally couldn't stand up. Um, so yeah, it's, it's crazy. Now we know how much damage you can really do and how careful we need to be um so yeah it doesn't surprise me that he's still working through some of those things and it my point to that story is you never know how it's going to affect you uh some people have trouble sleeping some people get nauseous for no reason randomly uh for me it was just a tip over and i couldn't necessarily stand up you know for the next five minutes um so if he told me that he's having any sort of issues with recovery from that, I would kind of nod and say, yeah, I, I believe it. Um, it's just not something to, to be taken lightly. I think, um, you know, I, I've not managed to speak to him much this year. Um, I've tried, but um, I think with Jeremy Seaworth, I think he is still, you know, having issues from last year because it just seems to be like the concentration thing. Um, obviously, the, you know, Argentina was just a complete freak um, when he did crash on the on the jump. But it, 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 I don't know. It just he doesn't seem to have recovered sufficiently since since last year, and he doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, the rider that you know we 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 know him for. He does seem to be struggling this year, and I just wonder whether he's still feeling the effects of, of concussion. Yeah, it's an interesting point because obviously he's getting the hole shots every like he's got four hole shots. I think Prado's got six, so his starts have been excellent. Obviously, last weekend in Spain he had that food poisoning, didn't he, James? So that probably scuppered his weekend. But it's it's not like to see even in Portugal when he gets really good starts and and to see him actually not get a podium. It's very 
like he's been banking some solid points and it's it's just not like Jeremy that we're used to seeing to get that good start and not get a podium, especially the way he finished last year very strongly. And he typically does have really good second half seasons. But um, yeah, we're all waiting for him to sort of come to life. And he's obviously got some, you know, he wants to get the bike right and he wants to get himself right because he's he's had a lot to deal with this season. But um, yeah, for you, JT, how have you sort of assessed Jeremy's season? It's probably not what you expected and not what he expected. No, no. Not at all. Um, it's been a bit disappointing, I'm sure, for him too. But it just seems like it's a different problem each week. You know, it's food poisoning and it's it starts or and then he gets the starts and then he's sick. And it's just been one thing after another. The, the upside of that is is a lot of those things, oh, given enough time, that variance will even out. You know, and if if you're getting good starts and you feel like you can ride pretty well, guess what? The results will show up. You're not, you're not going to have food poisoning each week and you're not going to have problem. you know, these are just random incidents that are kind of all been lumped together. Uh, so I'm, I'm a bit optimistic about the way his season will go. Uh, this is a rider who's been in the top three in points more times than not over the last five or six years. Uh, and I think that will come back to fruition. He just needs to kind of smooth out the rough edges right now. Not that getting food poisoning is your fault, um, but yeah, it's, it's still devastating to your results when you can't really push at all. You, you know, riders that are nowhere near your caliber are just riding around the outside of you in the second half of races. So I think he'll bounce back. That doesn't mean he'll be on the podium this weekend in France, but I think better days are ahead and, uh, he just, yeah, he's had a little bit of a run of bad luck, but yeah, those things tend to fade into the background the longer a season is. Yeah, just a quick one for you, James. Obviously, how do you think he's managing that? Like, I don't think many of us would have thought that he wouldn't have had a podium by now. You know, Glenn's got on the podium and Maxime's, his other teammates, he obviously done really well before the injury. So it's definitely not like like most people wouldn't have put money on that. You would have got some pretty long odds on saying no podiums for Jeremy six rounds in. And you must, I must say, Glenn has impressed me this season, especially even though he didn't get probably the results to reflect his speed last weekend. He was on some really good charges, wasn't he? James Glenn's still got it, hasn't he? And he's 200 yeah, this weekend, I believe. Yeah, again, it's just one of those guys which you just can't rule out. I mean, uh, you know, after we've had this conversation, you can just imagine no Jeremy going one-one in France. Yeah. So and, and complete yeah. hit that whole theory on it on its head, literally. Um, but like I've been really impressed with Glenn this year. But as as well as Glenn, you know, as well as Glenn's gone well, I think one of the things which I find really interesting is that um, there's a good chance that Calvin Flanderen uh, could be the leading Yamaha um, if he has a good French GP. Mm. There could be a good chance that Calvin Flanderen could be like the leading Yamaha in the World Championship and is probably paid 20 times less than you know his counterparts in the factory team. So it, at some point, you've got to believe that Flanderen is going to get the rewards <laughs> and people are going to back this guy because uh, you know he's obviously got some, some good... Um, you know, back in behind him, but at the end of the day, he, he, it's a satellite team. It's it's one rider on on a team, and you know he's he's Yamaha's leading rider at the moment. You know, with Maxi Mang, I think that's kind of a, a, an interest an interesting story. But Glenn, you you just don't know. Like you say, you, some you just can't rule him out for a win. But then you don't you don't know he could quite easily get a ninth. So um, yeah, with Glenn, you you it's just that i guess that inconsistency of um you know one minute he, and you think oh sand he'll go well on sand and he does very well on hard pack so it's 
he's a he's a hard one to to predict um but definitely you know definitely the the form the the speed uh it's all there so um but yeah calvin, calvin for me is is just a real interesting one because he's if you speak to him he's not happy with his performances he he, he knows that he can do more but yeah he's sitting in a championship already yeah you definitely feel with calvin the um the speed is definitely probably not reflected in his results and yeah, speaking to him a couple of weeks ago, he was he was not that happy. He got stuck behind um, Jeremy, wasn't it? And he was stuck behind Prado a little bit before he had that sort of moment in Portugal. And all the signs are looking pretty good. And you must sort of yeah, give him respect for doing what he's doing on a pretty uh, pretty private bike. And he's got a clutch. And that's kind of yeah, the team. He's obviously happy there. He's happy doing that program, which obviously he has um, a lot of comfort with that bike. He said it's one of the best stock bikes. So a lot of these guys on these stock Yamahas are giving it a good rap because even in Australia, you see the series there. You got, you know, uh, Ferris is just tearing it up. Tanti and Clout, um, they're all just tearing it up on the new Yamaha. So uh, it's looking pretty good for Calvin, and it's probably the podium will be the next step for him. He probably he had the speed in Riola to get there, that's for sure. With um, he was getting held up by guys, and just made just the, the challenge with these guys is the tracks a lot. A lot of them are really tight, so it's hard to make those passes. So you really have to have to sort of calculate it, unless you're Jeffrey Hurlings who can come through the the field, but um. Just some new JT, how important are those starts? Because there's not many guys that can come back and get through the field, like you see with Ferrato and Belandrin. They say, you're oh, Guadagnini, once you miss that start, you're battling for a top 10, aren't you? Yeah, it's it's tough. The field is incredibly deep, uh, very much the opposite of what's going on in the USA right now. The field is completely depleted, and <laughs> you know guys like Ken Roxon can come from last to, to second or third um, at an event. So it's really the tale of, of two continents at the moment. Um, there's a ton of depth and parody in MXGP, which is great. It, it makes for much more entertaining watching and viewing at the moment. But for the riders, yeah, you have to, you just have to make sure you have every detail figured out because you can really hinder your entire race just by getting a bad start, you know, and, and the U S as I mentioned, that's not such a big deal. Like, of course, everybody wants to get a good start, but, it's not it's not a death knell to your race if you get a poor start in America where in MXGP, unless your name is Jeffrey Hurlings, for a lot of guys it is. You just you're not going to be able to move through from twelfth place. Maybe you get to fifth, but the the difference in speed is just not there. Like everyone's on a very similar pace right now. Even to guys like Ferrado and these guys that you wouldn't necessarily consider race winning caliber but they can still go fast enough to hold you off for five six seven laps and guess what the leaders are gone at that point and, and your chances at a podium are, are nil yeah absolutely and just wanted to get your take on that i know you mentioned mitch evans um jt on the on the podcast i think with pulp the other day just i think he had a question about it and just you think we see him back to his level obviously he's had two gps now just settling back in um Really, really wanted to see him fit, don't we? Because he had that had some really good qualifying races last year. I think the win in Sweden. And um, do you think we see him get back to that level? And then Australia's got a pretty complete motocross nations team if if he's fully fit and firing like last year. Yeah, I think I think he can certainly do well. Um, you know, the the really challenging thing is I just don't know what the answer is for him to put together an entire series and the injury bug just seems to keep him down and out too often and yes it, it will serve him very well to come back and and lead qualifying races and do all the things that he's very much capable of but you're just wondering like man can you 
could you just put together one solid full season to see what, what you're truly, you know, what's truly possible here. Um, so, you know, no one probably feels the pain of that more than him. Like he has to go through these injuries and missing races and, you know, he rides for a team now where his, his team manager and auntie is demanding. He asks a lot from his riders and he expects the very, very best. So to not be able to perform and not be able to show up is, yeah, it's got to be difficult for him. Um, and I'm sure he's very, very frustrated at times, but all we can focus on is getting back out there and, and turning in results when he's capable of lining up. Yeah, I, I kind of echo those sentiments, JT. I, I believe that uh, Mitch knows what he's got to do. I think it must be super frustrating because he wants to be there, but I hate the, the word process, but he has to follow that process because he's been out for such a long time. The riders are just, the intensity now in MXGP is insane. That's going to take a good three or four GPs to to get that intensity in the first part of the race, you know, getting out the start and, and putting yourself up there. Like we've seen the benefit of of people with like Guadagini, um, what they can do with a, a couple of good starts. So, um, you know, I think Mitch Evans just needs that little bit of a, a break. But at the same time, even if he did get the, uh, if he, even if he did get the start, he hasn't got the the bike or the race fitness uh, to be able to, to do that at the moment. But that is going to come, isn't it, in the next sort of um, sort of two GPs? It's probably going to take him a good sort of you know four GPs. He's been back to it two now, so. You got to believe that next two GPs, we're going to start to see him sort of, you know, the pace sort of quicken. And I guess there must be this whole thing in the back of his mind, and and also with Anti, is that um, you, you want to push because you want to show people what you can get. But if you're not race fit, and if you're not where you want to be, then if you do go and push that little bit more, you're only going to end up getting injured again. So it must be so hard, and you know, I'm. It must be so frustrating for a rider when they they know they can be so much better, but they they have to not push the envelope too much because you know that's when things can go quite wrong. Hey, JT. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know that there's an easy answer to it. Um, it's just really challenging because you want you want to say, yeah, just send it at all times and and really press the envelope, but that's how you end up with plaster on and you don't finish series, but. The alternative is that you back it down and then you're not, you're not quick enough to compete at the highest level. So, um, you know, it's the age old question of how do you find, how do you find the balance? How do you stay at a peak level, but also not find yourself on the sidelines too. And, um, uh, yeah, if, if the answer was easy, everybody would be doing it as they say. Um, but it's, uh, it's the age old question of where's, where's the limit. Yeah, he's severely yeah, amazed at eight drops, isn't he, James? Because obviously um, he's been doing a lot of good testing with uh, with Tacker and Roman and the team in the preseason. He was flying you. So he was telling you how good he was going, wasn't he? So do you think he just – I've spoken yeah. to him. Does he need how many rounds do you think we before we see him back in the top 10, maybe a couple more? Yeah, I think a couple more. I I spent a lot of time with him in December um, when we were filming the Monster Series. And um, – you know, he was excited. Everything was going really, really well. And it was just a freak accident. And he he kind of uh, intimated that maybe he was riding too much. So because like, the winter period, they they rode quite a lot. And, and I think he said that with the amount of hours that we were riding over the winter period, you know, the more you ride, the more chances there are of, um, you, you know, of getting injured. So um, and I think it was just a freak freak accident um which, which caused the thumb but 
I think a couple more races in, um, you know, we'll see him back, but um, another person who's going to be back. And I think somebody who is going to do, um, who would do well it, again, it, I think it will take a couple of times, uh, a couple of, couple of GPs, but we've seen what he done in Argentina and that's um, Paul's Jonas. I think um, mm. uh, the team badly need him back. Um, I think Brian's been kind of carrying it for a little bit longer. We know that they're still trying to, you know, find the right pieces of the puzzle for the Honda. You know, is, unfortunately, the guys at uh, Standing Construct, I think this is like the, the fourth or fifth different manufacturer they've changed um, like in the past sort of seven, eight years. So um, it's kind of starting again with the Honda. So um, hopefully, you know, it'll be nice to get pools back on there. Uh, back in the top 10 again. Um, you think they're making strides with the bike, James? Just because you see Gio doing so well on the on the pretty well bone stock uh, Honda. Do you, is there word that they're making good strides? Because it's just so bizarre seeing those guys where, they're, where they are. It's just not right, is it? Because obviously Bogus won the GP last year at Lommel. It's, it just doesn't sit well, does it? No, no, I th- but there again, you uh, just some freak things have happened to Van Donick as well on the Honda. Yeah. So, I like um I think the two occasions the chain uh there was an issue with a chain for Van Donick this year with with a part so um I think that they they didn't get a lot of time on the bike I think they had um you know the bikes and bits and pieces two weeks before the season started so they were they are way behind like way 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 behind and now they're, it's just a massive catch up so um you know possibly with the investment what Tim's put in they've just like you know they got the i call them the goldfish bowls um with the you know the paddock presence jt you know what i'm on about don't you these um these amazing trucks which basically you press a button and it's like an automatic setup basically um they're absolutely fantastic but um i'm i'm still not a fan i'm still not a fan of these things we need to get the riders out and sign in stuff but with the amount of um, investment that um Tim's put in from standing, you gotta believe that it's gonna come true the end part of this year and they're gonna be nicely set up for next year. But I I'm not sure whether it's something going on with the Honda at the moment, but it does seem to be uh outside of the factory, it does seem to be there seem to be a couple of little issues with um w- with bike setup and with uh, from from uh, uh Jackie Martin's team and um and standing at the moment. So um i don't know if that's aftermarket parts or, or whatever but things you know it's going to get better but it must be hugely frustrating for the riders um especially when they're in good positions and in it seems to go a little bit wrong um I, was there anything going on in america with the satellite teams with hondas um this year jt yeah they're they're working on a few things um i think the biggest question and there's really no answer to it yet is what does honda do with their 250 program uh, you know, as of right now, it's in-house, but I, I've heard rumblings that they're looking at farming that back out, a la how it used to be with Geico. Um, so we'll just yeah. have to see what developments come with that. Um, I think there are a couple of prospective teams that would love to have that opportunity, but yeah, no, nothing firm as of yet. Yeah, and just your take well, on seems- that ride too much. Sorry, um, James, the ride too much conundrum, obviously – being a racer, you want to ride as much as you can, probably, and especially privateers, you want to feel as connected to the bike as possible. And there's a lot of sort of mumblings in the sport saying they ride too much. Should they go back to a MotoGP uh, F1 program where they don't ride the bikes too much? But for dirt bike racers, surely it's probably in your best interest to to ride as much as possible because you want to make that ground and get that fitness work in and just feel as comfortable as possible. Is that same for you? Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of that. Um, I think 
what makes this sport so great is you don't have to be the most talented. And I think if you limit riding and you limit the amount of practice that people are allowed to have, it just comes down to talent. It comes down to equipment so much more because if you can sort things out quicker, you know, for me, and I put myself into that situation. If I had to cut my practicing down, I would have really suffered. I I was a guy that needed to ride a lot. Um, and if I wouldn't have been able to, my results would have suffered immensely. So I hope we never go to that. I've heard other people calling for that. And it's just not something that I, I really think is in the best interest of the sport. So um, I understand people are trying to prevent injuries and cut down on costs and all that. But I think it just goes against what the spirit of motocross is really about. It's how hard are you willing to work for it? How dedicated are you to your craft? And if you truly are willing to put in the hours and, and better yourself, yeah, there's really no limit to where you can end up. It's a it's a funny it's a funny one, hey, because I I speak to I spe- I'm sure you do in, in the US, JT. But when I speak to riders in MXGP, there's some which are like, I know how to ride a bike. Yeah. You know, I don't need to spend all day every day on a bike. Uh, yeah, I understand I got to be fit and race fitness, but you know, they they lose their enjoyment by riding too much. And then there's other, then we've got the 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 uh, the Coonan brothers on the other hand, which are never off their bike. So it is really down to, I guess, the individual. Hey, if if you're not really, if you're one of those guys that are, that don't enjoy riding a bike all the time, um, like it, it, it is really down to the, and that must be really hard for a team manager to say to try and listen to a rider to say, okay, what's what's the best interests for you rather than what's the best interests or what I think the best interests are and what the team's interests are. That's got to be kind of. Uh, hard i guess for for a team manager to try and balance these things when the riders kind of you know trying to get the best out of riding a rider saying nah, actually i don't like riding the bike all the time I, like let's just do a morning of sprint laps and that's it we're done i'll go to the gym yeah i think it's just uh i for me i think it's the injury thing that guys are trying to find out how to reduce the number of injuries but i personally don't believe the state of racing right now if you just go out and do some laps and, and call it good and go to the gym, I, I don't believe that's enough. I, I don't think you can compete at the highest levels doing just that. Um, I, I think the the bar has been set too high and everyone's too polished uh, to, to get away with that. I don't think you develop uh, racing muscles and all of the grit that you need on the most difficult days uh, to get away with it. That's just my personal belief, but um, I think – if that's your approach, you just want to ride a little bit and and then train. I don't I don't think you're going to be your best self. Yeah, it's a yeah. good point. You look at Lapino I spoke to last week, James. He's obviously doing the dual dual role of testing, developing a bike, and racing MXGP and the Italian Championship. So he's basically on the week on the bike all every weekend, most days. He's doing so much work, and obviously being a veteran, he knows the limits and knows you know knows his speed. But it's pretty cool to see he's. He's like coming back to a good level, doing all that work, getting through the races. Um, interesting to see him. He sort of went through a lot of hell last year, a lot of depression and resulting from some appendicitis um, complications. And, you know, it's pretty amazing that he's actually back at this point because, um, you know, he had that amazing 2021 series where he got 10th overall in the championship on a on a pretty much stock bike, KTM Marchetti, and he's, Marchetti's running the beta team now. And it's cool to see him doing so well. And he was like, it was kind of a bit sad when you see all these injuries, like, you know, you both, you guys are seeing the sport, but that year in 2021, where he came 10th with a uh, pretty much just some WP suspension, you know, 
Hurling's favourite guys are Sua Cairoli. All these guys were fit, so he's like, what could it have been if um we had some injuries in the sport? But uh, how's it all going for Lupino for you, James? And um, JT, do you remember his little um stint in the AMA National a couple of years ago where I think he qualified fourth and got 13 in a moto and Dan Truman helped him out with some with a fuel pump issue he was having. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember. And, and I think it just goes to show what the talent level is for MXGP, right? Like he was a guy that really no Americans had heard of, and yet he's out there running the pace of the leaders. So um, yeah, it was probably a big wake up call for several guys. But yeah, if you were paying attention, then you already knew who he was. Yeah, thanks, yeah. mate. Cheers for joining us. Yeah, no worries, JT, thanks, thanks so much. much. And uh, we'll let you get back to uh, the real job. Well, I'm actually off. I'm on vacation, so <laughs> I wasn't, oh, yeah. wasn't planning on yeah, well, I wasn't planning on being on so long, but I, I was enjoying it. Hey, no worries. Um always appreciate your time, JT, and thank you so much for coming on. And uh it's nice to be back and chatting to you. All right, guys. See ya. Yeah, thanks, bye. Take care, bye. Yeah, yeah, so going back to um interestingly, going back to uh two things which I wanted to talk to you about was one when JT said about the the Honda program. I've I'm hearing murmurings in MXGP. That they're looking, they're relooking at the, at the whole 250 setup in in uh, in in MXGP as well. So I fully expect there to be uh, another satellite team with um, with Honda 250 next year. So um, sort of I, I don't know who is sort of motorsports footprint that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think this sounds like it's going to be um, you know like a lot of things. I think it's going to be a global. A global thing so i think is you know if they're going to be doing that in the us i think they're they're 100 looking to do that in um in mxgp as well so um definitely expect some um some changes going on uh in honda which will be uh you know it's going to help out because that's going to give um two people a very good ride in in mx2 next year and then going back to lupino um he is just one of the uh the nicest friendliest happiest people i ever see <laughs> in the pits like it doesn't matter how his race is gone uh how hard he's worked whether he's dripping with sweat and blood he's always smiling and he'll just like sit in his deck chair outside his camper and chat so um as i'm kind of like you know running here there and everywhere i always seem to catch him and he's always like hey how are you da, 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 da. and then he's usually doing this while one of his kids is hanging off of him <laughs> or someone else's kid so um he is like just the most ultimate dad rider happy nice person you'll ever meet so um i got to know him a little bit this this year um through obviously being back at the races and uh yeah he's he's a really good good person and also a fantastic rider uh obviously best mates overall with, with last week and that's well. pretty damn impressive isn't it yeah and and you know he's been really open with me with the whole um the beta project in uh both him and um ben and in they're working so hard and in the, not only are they working hard, but they are so um, appreciative of what the beta factory are doing because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's beta. It's not the biggest factory uh, compared to the, you know, the other factory teams, but they, every little bit of change, they listen to every little bit of feedback. They listen to if something's not quite right, that the, the guys go away and come back and, and they, they listen to the feedback and make changes. Um, it can't happen as quick as, um, you know, other factory teams because they don't have the resources. But, you know, Lupino and, and both Ben Watson can't speak highly enough of, of the guys at Beta. They said it's an incredible place uh, to be at and, and also to ride in the team. So I think you've got to give those guys some kudos. They're working so hard. 
But, um, they're a great team, yeah. aren't they? Watson and Lapino. They seem to enjoy each other's company. They've gone fishing a bit, Lapino was saying. And he said the time uh, he took Lapino caught a 50 kilo tuna, and Watson wasn't there that day. So he, they're always sort of testing each other, saying, No, nah, I'm faster, you're better. And it's a good, he's in a good place, yeah. isn't he? And, He's, and he made a good story about um, Tony Caroli saying he comes to the comes to the track still sometimes, like like Mattia was saying to us. And you see Tony with the yeah. with the dude and the bike, and they think, "Oh shit, not again!" And he literally was like, yeah. "Tony just plays with yeah. us. He's so much faster." And and Lupino's like, "Just yeah. piss off, mate. Like we don't need you here anymore. Yeah. How good is it? <laughs> just retire, will you?" Yeah. Um, but the uh, you know the, the the cool thing about the guys in that team is uh mxgp sometimes could like when you're on the outside and, and you get you, you're going in and i can imagine like uh you know some factory teams from the outside if you're new to the sport and you go in and people just like kind of stare at you and stuff like that internally um you go into the beta team and everyone's just like really happy like like everybody's got smiles on their face yeah come on in yeah you know how are you doing do you want a bottle of water you know they're so friendly like it is one of my favorite teams in in the paddock they're just like really welcoming really nice and just like you know real happy vibe so i can imagine if you're a rider on that team you're you must be thriving in that atmosphere because it's like the engineers can't do enough for you like everybody is like oh oh you got a temp amazing well done like you know it's it's such a cool environment um and that's what i get from the outside so imagine what it's like being on the inside yeah and you spoke to lapino after trentino after that really really challenging track there and Obviously, Watson, they had, the, they had the new bike for the first one and they switched back for the second moto. And they were saying enhancements, uh, improvements on the bike were potentially due for France. So it'll be interesting to see when you're there, mate, if they've got that new stuff um, dialed in because, yeah, they're definitely making strides and they're, they're getting there because obviously Jeremy Van Horbeek did some pretty good work, got some, you know, pretty close to those top five finishes and especially on the hard pack stuff. So they're going in the right direction, aren't they? And it's good for the sport having having manufacturers like them and, you were speaking about rides before Ducati and Triumph coming in. So I think that's sort of the sports looking good for riders at that point as well with factory riders and getting good, good money for what they do. Cause they certainly deserve to be paid more for the, for the brutal nature of the sport and just what they do, what they put their bodies through. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a hard one. Hey, because you've got the top five, which are earning very good money mm. and then deficit between the next five is just ridiculous. Like, yeah. It's, it's it's leagues apart and, and given what they do and what they put themselves through like i don't even think some of the riders get enough money to be able to like literally pay their rent let alone mm-hmm. cover their training pay pay an outside coach food that type of stuff like if it wasn't for um personal sponsors mum and dad you know these guys wouldn't even be able to survive and this is the world championship it's just insane but um what I'm going to do is uh, we want to give some uh, first, I want to say a huge thank you to fly racing for bringing um, uh, uh, J- JT onto the program. Um, those guys over at fly are doing a, a fantastic job. They uh, fly are going to be joining um, MXY show pretty soon. So it's great to have them uh, coming on as a, a show sponsor. Uh, parts Europe distributes spare parts, accessories and rider equipment for all motorbike segments in Europe. We support the sport. It's fortified through the four and moose house brands in their support of world elite MX riders like Calvin Vlanderen, Jorge Prado, Lagerfelder, Guadagini, Jonas Bogers, and nine times world champ and four ambassador, Tony Caroli. Now, what you probably don't know is pretty much at every GP, Parts Europe have their uh, dealer network uh, from that country literally come to the GP. 
So uh, Glenn Dempsey over there at uh, Parts Europe runs just a really cool program. And uh, I joined them um, in Spain when they brought the, the local dealers through. And uh, they got to meet the riders. They got to come into uh, the new standing construct truck. Um, very, very, very cool. So, um, you know, brands like Necken, Pro Circuit, FMF, ODI, Cycra, Renful, Recluse, and many, many more are ready to be shipped. Check out our website at partseurope.eu. Remember, these guys support the sport, and we can't thank them enough for supporting this podcast show. Also, Kawasaki UK, they're back this month with uh, supporting the MXY show, which is great to have them back on board. Uh, AS3 Performance Parts. If you guys are looking for the bling parts, the aftermarket parts, check out AS3 Performance Parts. Not only uh, they're a UK company, uh, Ben's grown it from, from nothing to where it is at the moment, and it's absolutely fantastic. The parts are, are constantly tested, constantly improved. Um, they ship all over to Europe in one to two days. They even ship to the US. Check them out at as3performanceparts.co.uk. Even Strokes and, of course, uh, 4MX. So uh, thank you guys for um, supporting this show. Um, Absolutely fantastic. But, Ed, back to your previous point. Um, Yeah, I don't think... I think more needs to be done. Um, I've kind of spoken a little bit online before where in America they've just released a 9 million contingency. Mm. Um. From manufacturers in you know a couple of people are saying online well do you know how many dirt bikes they sell in um america compared to to um mxgp and i was was thinking well actually if you added all the dirt bikes up in the world excluding america i'm pretty sure that's got to be par for par um when you think about places like indonesia with the amount of bikes that they buy in the middle east in 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 australia and so on so um I just can't understand. I really want to get an answer from somebody within the industry who can who can kind of educate me a little bit um, on why there is no contingency fund in MXGP because that for me is what's missing. If 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 Infront aren't going to bring the um, you know the 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 return of prize money back, then can the manufacturers step in and bring a contingency like they do for for the pro motocross rounds? You know, imagine if you had nine million in contingency fund for the privateers. I mean, how much would that cover their entry fees? How much would that cover their traveling? So it's like, um, you know, a few people within, you know, will say kind of, you know, what what are the manufacturers doing? Yes, they are supporting these massive programs like, you know, Yamaha and HRC and everything else. But they're doing that in America. Mm. I, I just don't understand why you can have nine million contingency in the U.S., but you can't have nine million contingency or even four and a half million contingency. If if the US are selling twice as many dirt bikes than the rest of the world, and so I think everybody would be happy with four and a half million contingency. I just don't understand why there's this such a gulf between nine million and nothing. So, and again, this is talk. This is somebody who's kind of talking from uh, an uneducated point of view, and, and I'd love to be educated by, um, uh, you know, why there is no contingency in 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 the world motocross. So yeah. yeah, it's just a little gripe, Ed, which I just wanted to share. Um, yeah. And it's just something which I'm fascinated about as well. It's like, I I, I love to understand the inner workings of, of why we can have certain things and why we can't. So um, yeah, there we go. Yeah, the My rant of the week. Seems to be in a good, good splay, good space. You know, like they're, they're doing a lot of work to promote the series and the, and the, you know, the sport worldwide, the championship battle was excellent in America till the end. 
championship battle in MXGP is good. Um, lots of domestic championships are excellent. So, um, and yeah, like you said, the TV package, it spreads right around the world and Asia's definitely one of their most popular markets. And, and there's definitely scope for surely whoever's, you know, there's definitely some money out there to be, you know, put towards this kind of thing. So, um, yeah, we just hopefully that that comes because it's like, you know, they definitely need all the support they can get. And just wanted to get your take on MXGP as well. Um, the new Behind the Gate series is pretty cool. It's got got a few heads turning and um, just trying to elevate the profile of the sport. And, you know, the same as the Monster series you guys um, have previously done with the Against All Odds. So um, just your state of the the, the 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 series from the ground being at the GPs, mate. Well, interestingly, um, we had a, a, a press kind of mill. Uh, I think it was in Portugal, maybe. Yeah, it was Portugal. And um, I got to meet the guys. Um, and we, we kind of chat to them any week, you know, every every week anyway. But as you see, you know, around the track and stuff. But we managed to sort of catch up with them. And uh, you, you'll like this, Ed. Um, they listen to our post-race podcasts and all the podcasts within the week. They're avid listeners, the, the behind-the-scenes team. Uh, Christian and his team, they, they listen to every podcast because they use a lot of the content, what we produce, to um give them background and ask the questions for behind the behind the gate series so um kudos to you ed because they're actually using your content um to actually create some of the programs so i think that's you know it's really nice of them to like kind of say and they all go on to mxys and they love mxys they really enjoy the videos and stuff so um yeah they said they're they're, yeah hugely inspired by the work what we do uh or what mxys produces um and, and uh, you know they've taken elements of that you can see from against uh, against Oz, like with the back backgrounds and in that type of stuff so mm-hmm. yeah it's really cool and on that note there is actually a, a new monster series um season two of against all odds which is going to be dropping hopefully in the next couple of weeks so um something uh that uh uh sean ogden who who was uh at mxv last year filmed um a lot of the racing stuff uh jeremy van tande uh is edited um all three episodes um he's done an absolutely amazing job um so that this is going to be um this is going to be quite exciting jt appears on there um i believe i've got a little cameo on there not on a bike thank god um so uh yeah so it's so that that's that's going to be cool and but that i think that's going to be the last uh, against a lot's um series so so get it while you can uh however there is a little bit of inner talk uh, at MX Vice that we may be producing our own um, TV show series uh, in 2024. So um, that's kind of where we are. MX Manager will be back on on MX Vice next year. Uh, there will be a, an MX Vice TV show. Uh, we've got a new website on the way. That should be dropping in two weeks. And we've also got uh, a new app, which, which should be here in a month's time. So um Lots of cool stuff. It's taken a while. We do apologize, but um, we we are only a small team. There's Ed, Ben, uh, Jeremy, and myself. That is MXY. So between the four of us, we we cover all bases. Hey, Ed? Yeah, mate, we're doing our best to produce the content. And um, yeah, Ben and I are sort of doing the, the, sort of the content on the website. And you and Jeremy are doing a bloody good job at the at the races that's for sure and yeah jeremy's um he's loving it speaking to him he's uh, he's definitely keen to come on a podcast and throw a bit of banter your way mate and it's um there's videos <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. some really good responses haven't they and and this is the track walks you yeah. guys have been doing and and the post-race interviews and and like the pro the sort of unsung heroes um podcast for the last gp was just so good and the people loved hearing those stories and i did for sure as well because 
they deserve the coverage, don't they? Because they go through a lot just to get to the GPs, you know. You're talking about Jan Panzer studying yeah. and and we're out of the camper and he's only got a, a crapper bitch pipe because of because of a Slovenian connect there. And yeah, it's pretty cool, man. It's, <laughs> it's great to hear those guys putting it all in and then having to race and they got their dad helping them and, and that's it, you know, and, and they're camping next to the, the factory rigs. Like um, Lorenzo was saying, Ivanov, who got 14th in a moto and his jersey looks like it's just a local club track jersey, not much sponsors, you know, doing it on a tight budget, obviously. And he's getting nice. 14th and he was set up next to the gas gas factory rig and, they had all the attention with Prado at the Spanish GP and he's just got his little setup and good on him, eh? <laughs> yeah. It, do you know what? These are the stories I love. And, you know, the, the, the post-race podcast this weekend in, in France, you know, we, we, you know, our, our, our endeavor to get Prado in, in, in Herlins and in, in Fernandez and Fevro, we're, we're going to get those guys, but I think it's super important that we, we make sure we get, um, the, the, the evenals, the, you know the pan cars, the you know the, just these guys who have got these incredible stories, and, and and you don't know these stories until you talk to them. And um, I really wanted to do something different in Spain, and and I know it that went down very very well. I've got a lot of messages saying, "Geez, I, I've never heard of this guy before," <laughs> and um, like fair play to him, like Maximilian Spees. Yeah. Um, you know what a character that guy is. Nineteen years old. The guy's an Ooh. absolute unit. But yeah. the the whips he was throwing in Portugal was absolutely insane. If you've not checked out um, Maximilian Spees' whips, then then honestly get on it. It's well worth it. I think it, they're probably on his profile and they're on um, on MX Vices. But you know, I love hearing these stories, and um, mm. you know, I want to bring I want to bring more to them. I think in front do a very good job. They've obviously at their game this year. They're doing the paddock um, show and everything else. Yeah. Um, but I do think that MX Vice does bring something to the GPs what what other people don't do, and it's like telling these stories, and and that's what I want to do more of. That's where I've always seen MX Vice. Um, you know, is is you know when it started out in the UK, we wanted to promote the the people who were fifteenth to twentieth and, and and help them because they're the guys who needed the help. Mm. So um, I, I feel I feel like we kind of lost our way a little bit for for a few years. We've just not. You know the fact I I felt ashamed that Jan, Jan Panzer had had not even had a bloody interview on MX Vice, so it's just like crazy. It's like why not? So um yeah, I'm yeah, I'm excited to get back about yeah. um about Brad Todd. Obviously, Ben did a thing about him needed some help, and we've done a you know Joanne Cross in America needed some help, and you know we do all we can to help the guys. And just getting back to Spees, um he had that massive crash in the second moto, didn't he? And, and he, and he had the torn ankle ligaments concussion and lots of wounds all over his body. And he still raced the ADAC on the next weekend and got fourth overall. I forgot to shout out to Ferry for winning his first uh, ADAC moto and first overall. And um, yeah, it was pretty impressive. And yeah, he's obviously battling out those guys that I mentioned, Nagel, Jacoby, the cock boys, Titsier. Like there's just so many dudes in that class, which that doesn't get the coverage either, but it's a great, it's a great setup there. Great TV, but, Having someone like Spees, who's a two-stroke champion and just a really unique story. And I think you said he was the only 19, 90 kilos, 192 centimetres. Like, he just must tower over you, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not the tallest anyway. But uh, literally, when I when I got to it, when I went to see him, he was literally just slumped in the deck chair, just blood pouring out of everything. And, uh, and I'm like, uh, interview? <laughs> and he was just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really chirpy. Like, yeah, just absolutely destroyed myself. But yeah, let's find this chat. So um yeah, I, I'm excited about Spain. Prediction wise, um who are you who are you thinking MXGP wise, who's gonna be your top three? 
I'd like to think February would come back and obviously go back to the where he's got some good memories there, obviously winning his first GP. And I think he won his first moto the weekend before that, back in 2015, when he obviously won the title. Um, it was a pretty cool race that year. You had sort of a lot of guys dropping out, but it was, you know, Nagel, DeSalle, um, yeah, Cairoli, Paul Lund. Like, it was a pretty cool class. And, you know, it was good to see him. Yeah. He sort of made the, he made the opportunity matter when he, he had the chance and he took it when the other guys were sort of going down around him and, yeah, but I think you I think you just can't go past Jeffrey. Obviously, he won here. We were just saying he won the last GP they had here uh, what, six years ago, and then he won the MX2 back in 2015. So he's got good memories of the place too. So I think for the podium on MXGP, Matt, I'll go I'll go Hurlings, Fever, and, and Prado. I think will probably be where I'm at. But I, I definitely think Fernandez could could get up there too, mate. Yeah, I um. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's going to be far off that. I'm, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Prado for the win. Um, I think I just got a sneaky suspicion he's going to, he's going to do well. I'm going to go Prado Hurlins, and um, I'm going to go a little bit crazy and go cold enough. Mm. Yeah, it's a good one. I definitely yeah. could see Jeremy f- getting his first podium of the year too. Um, it's definitely due for him. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, if he he could go one one in in you know you know that's it is you know the season starts for him. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with his three. And what about MX two? Oh, it's hard to go past Yago at the moment, and and Adamo's obviously riding riding so well this year. He's sort of turning a lot of heads, and he's just been so consistent. He's he's nothing nothing too flashy, you know. He just does what he has to do, and he just wants to get those podiums and keep banking them. Same as Kai, just wants to keep the consistency going. He'll probably want to bounce back after a not as good weekend as he's been experiencing. But um, yeah, I think you got to go Yago, Adamo, and we'll go Beniston to get on the podium, mate. He's been a bit out of sorts the last couple of rounds. It's been a bit not like him. It's been uncharacteristic seeing him on those tracks that you usually you'd think he'd excel at. Um, just yeah, not not really putting it all together. But yeah, expect the bounce back at home for him. Do you reckon? Yeah, I the. I think I, I can't see anybody um, beating Yago. So I'm definitely going to go Yago for, for the win. Um, I definitely think Adamo um, is going to be on the podium. But I do um, I do think like we might see someone like um, Everts pop up again. Because uh, just that performance in Trentino, um, I don't know. What about Hogmaier? Yeah, I mean, Horgmo's due, due, due a good one. Um, How good was I think his ride he in does... Spain just being at the track? He looked super fast coming through the pack in both races, and obviously he hasn't had the season probably he would have liked or Mark would have liked. Um, but that team, he obviously, was great in Argentina, like we said. But, yeah, what's what's your sort of take on Horgmo? He's obviously got the speed, just needs to get the starts and piece it together and keep Mark happy. Yeah, I, I just – I think I think with, with Kevin, I think the, the speed's there, you know – we know that. I think it, it is the gate, and I think we've seen it uh, so many times um, in the class this year. If you get the star, you're there. If you don't get a star, those those front three, four are just gone so quick, and it's not even like like you know three laps. It's like the first lap they're checking out and sort of you know getting like a, a five ten second gap, and then it, then it's just growing. And it, it, that intensity in the first part of the race is just so key in MX2. Um, but yet the interesting thing was this, like 
Simon Lagenfelder um, yeah. in in Spain was just I I just don't know what happened. Like I have not that was the best I've ever seen him ride, and mm. he was just he wasn't no one was even close to him. Like even Yago's been riding really really well this year, and no one could, could even come close. Now now I but but nothing's telling me he's going to do that again because that was it was just such a, a perfect um weekend for him like uh, and he's broken he his does... arm now which is horrible eh? he broke his arm just a few days after that win so it's just a tragic this is the, the nature of the sport you you have that high and then like i spoke to him the week before spain and he hadn't didn't have the best day in portugal just a steady day and you know but he was pretty happy about things just wanted to keep working keep putting in the time he was happy with the team and just, he's just a really good young kid. He's got a bright future, that's for sure. And then he went 1-1 and just smashed it. And you, obviously you saw that he had the talent in Trentino winning that second moto, didn't he? And um, yeah, yeah, just the sport. I mean, yeah. It's... Bites you. Yeah, I completely forgot that. He's he's out, obviously, with the arm. And that was that literally two days after um Spain? Yeah. yeah. Just insane. I mean, just, yeah. So um, you, you've got to think that if, if, he were, if he were to ride in France, like... Um, you just don't know whether he would have bounced back. You know, would he have continued that 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 run? At, because he was so dominant in in Spain that he just like, where do you go from here? But nothing was backing up previously. Yes, he did have the you know the the win in Trentino, but some of his results this year have been quite you know lackluster for him. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. We've not even talked. We've not even spoke about Kaido Wolf. You know, that's another guy who could just come out and. and you know, podium or potentially blitz here. Van Moostijk is mm. looks so good this year. So um, you know, he had a, obviously at this point in time in, in in Spain, which he wasn't very happy about. But yeah. again, he, you wouldn't roll out a podium for him in France. So yeah. uh, Do you think Kai's got know. that first win coming, mate? That first overall. Obviously he was so close in Riola. It's obviously frustrating him a little bit. Um, you know, he's spoken to you about it. He just wants to get it out of the way at this point, doesn't he? And then you get the feeling once that happens that the they'll start flowing pretty regularly. Yeah, I think so. I think you, you know, uh, yeah, I think I think it's but once he gets that first one, I think that's going to be the thing. I think it's just going to literally just, um, you know, just week week by week. If he gets that win, I think week by week he he'll get that taste and get that feeling. I I think he's one of those riders that will just keep keep it there i think again you you see him he just tries so hard i think yeah. sometimes he tries too hard yeah. and um and i think if he could just back that down a little bit then um you know it's going to pay dividends but i think i'm going to go with i'm going to go with gertz i'm going to go with adamo um and do you know what i've got a sneaky suspicion that it could be van moostike yeah i think it could be van moostike in third on a podium yeah, you get the feeling he's building well, isn't he? He's he's, he's coming well. He's he's had good results despite the the shoulder injury that scuffed his preseason. And he's a bloody talented rider. Like all three of those guys in that team are just so talented, and it's good to see them doing so well. And you get the feeling maybe um Benestant could could throw it in there too. Do you have any answers um as to why he's been struggling? And obviously that chat you had with Elzinger that sort of wanted to um shine the spotlight on that, just saying how tough it's been for him lately. He's had a lot of anxiety dealing with the nerves and the the pressure and the weight of expectations been a massive burden on him. And he's another guy like Gio who was pretty close to quitting the sport pretty recently. And um, it's good to see him back there and 
just openly admitting to you and to the, telling the fans that that he's he's doing it tough and pretty brave effort to do that, mate. Because a lot of people suffer in silence, don't they? No, absolutely. I, I was I got to be honest, I was a little bit shocked when he just literally blurted it out because uh, and he was super honest with me, which I really appreciated. But um, yeah, a lot of people aren't as open as what Rick was, so it was really refreshing to um, you know just to to understand what he's been going through, and I guess. From the highs of Argentina to you know, you know the pressure of being on a factory race team and um, you know having to deliver that performance week in week out, like because everybody's like, oh, you've done it in Argentina, now you can do it for the rest of the year, and 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 that's possibly not what people were saying to him, but that's probably possibly what he was thinking when he was trying to explain to us. So, yeah, you, you got to believe that. Um, you know, we've, we've seen some good performance. From, from Rick when he was in EMX 250 um, in France. So I'm, I'm hoping that we see him bounce back. Uh, again, I wouldn't rule out somebody like Harrop um, mm. doing quite well in, in France as well. Um, I think, you know, he he could be one of those guys. And then we've not even sp- spoken about Lucas and Sasha Kuhn. Yeah. So um, those guys, you know, those guys can do well. Um but Benistan, I need to. It'd be quite nice to sit down with Benistan and um, and just see what's what's happening because uh, he's probably not where he wants to be. He's not a million miles away from where he wants to be. Um, it's, it's it's not like he's had a bad year. It's just maybe the that expectation of he is a and, he, and quite rightly he spoke about it. He is a title contender. So mm. at the moment, I just think that maybe. Yago's dominance, which he is being very dominant, um, is kind of maybe putting the pressure on everybody else. Do you find that the team, is there an interesting dynamic there, obviously, because they're all sort of three riders that are kind of doing their own things quite a lot. And obviously it would be difficult for Tebow and Yago being title rivals under the same awning. And um, yeah, it must be quite a sort of interesting relationship they have with each other. And it must be a bit challenging for the for the team to to deal with it. Obviously they've got great managers in place there, but it's an interesting conundrum they probably face every weekend, keeping everyone happy. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like I can only say from 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 what I see in in you know they run a very fair um, team, very happy team. Um, but I think I I don't know. I kind of feel like what Yago's done, what Yago needed to do, which was come out firing. And when you come out firing, you've got that momentum behind you, then. Um, I just think that everything starts to fit into place because the momentum starts to build. I'm sure the team aren't favoring nobody, but obviously he they they so want him to win that world championship. They want to win that world championship again. Um and and, and it is good. I just think the pressure gets to everybody else. So and, and I think we've seen that. Rick's sort of come out and he's kind of said, you know, I I, I am feeling the pressure. I got I'll get gotta get the head game right. Um, it'd be interesting to have a sit down and, and, and chat to Benistan. I'll try and do that with him in, in France this weekend and see if we can get to the bottom of it. Maybe the pressure is, you know, is starting to to take his toe a little bit. But I think that's only going to get worse because I I can just see Yago just being very, very dominant this year. He's kind of learned from last year. He knows what he needs to do. But you've just got to see his qualifying performances. Yeah. You know, oh, it, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, point he, twice, and I don't think anyone else has done that. So he's not even once. So he's just he's just uh, he's and even on in Spain, he got win the qualifying race, get two seconds. Like that's all he needed to do. Smart racing. He didn't have the speed for Simon. Just well, really, really calculated, measured, and 
just avoid. He had that little tiny spill at the end, the heart and the mouth there. But yeah, he's just he just looks like he's ready to to win the championship and move up. And and he showed that at the nations too. And he showed that over the years. He's been in this class a while now, and it's the time is now for him, isn't it? Yeah, he's. Uh, I've got to know him quite quite a lot this year because obviously he's friends with with Jeremy who who um, films with MX Vice. So I've got to know him off the back of that. And uh, I got to say, everything that my pre- preconceived um, kind of ideas about him has been totally you know tipped on the head. He's a really nice kid, um, just super friendly, super happy. Doesn't say a lot, but when he does say stuff, um, mm. you know, he's he's a funny kid. So we've had a, a real good laugh with him this year, and uh, yeah, it's been good to get to know him because sometimes when you don't make the effort, they don't really make the effort with you. So um, it's like a few riders this year. I've really tried hard to to put the effort into um, to talk, to get to know them, in in uh, you know in, invest a little bit of our time in, in in energy and doing reels and stuff like that for him, and it's yeah. reciprocated. So um, you know he's kind of opened up a little bit to us. Where previous years in, on on MX Vice, you know, we kind of judged him on his social media, um, yeah. you know, because that's all we seen. We didn't really yeah. get to chat to him. So, um, but now I've seen a completely different side and we filmed the monster series of him last year and he's kind of, you know, playing darts in the series in, um, you know, he's like just laughing at like, uh, like, uh, uh, topless calendar, which he's got yeah. in his workshop <laughs> and he's taking us around his house and, you know, showing all, all the trophies and stuff like that. And it's, you know, in like every, you know, whether it's on the, on the monster rig, riot, I get to sort of chat to him and stuff like that, or, you know, um, sat down having some food or whatever you know i've seen a different side to him and um yeah it's just a shame because there's obviously some some riders thrive with the limelight you know mm. in, in in work and there's other guys which are not really too bothered about it but it is unfortunately part of the job and that's what wins you fans yeah it's good that you're going around and speaking to them and you're building those relationships um it's pretty cool i've come out in the podcast mate how comfortable they are with you and, and just sort of yeah exactly elzing is a testament to that and just wanted to um, get the, your thought and just sort of what you've been seeing on the in the paddock about Jack Chambers' arrival. Obviously, a lot of fanfare about it. Super cool for the sport to have another American rider. You know, obviously, he's got a lot of input from Zach Osborne, who's a who's done so much legend, legendary stuff in the sport, and he's a good um, he's a good shoulder to lean on and get advice from. But we spoke to him, Ben and I, um, a few weeks back, and he said Zach just told me what I needed to know. He didn't tell me everything. He just said what you need to know and. He looks like he's happy and he's yeah. enjoying it, racing the British, working with the Dixon guys, do it, training with Courtney Duncan and Mel Pocock and all these guys. Yeah. He looks like he's having a blast, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he, he when I spoke to him, he kind of said, Look, I'm just gonna just make this the best of what it can be. You know, I understand the opportunity I've got. I didn't come into this blind. I think it's gonna always be difficult when you're that young and your mum and dad go back home. Um mm. and, and that's what happened. They were there for one GP and then obviously um you know, Trentino therefore, and then they've kind of gone back home. Uh, he's going into obviously Dixon's team and there's been a, you know, I think, uh, I think it was in Portugal when um, the bike stopped. So, you know, he, he's going to be up against that, which is what Harrop had and Max Anstey had, but, you know, Steve Dixon will tell you, you know, do you want to be, do you want, do you want to have a bike that could potentially be in the top five or, or do you want a safe bike, which would just get you, you know, 15th to 20th so um you know steve's always going to try and build a bike which is going to win and and, and you got to hope that jack chambers is going to get that start 
Um, mm. You know, we see what Team Ferris and Max and stuff like that have done on on Dixon's bike before, and and Osborne. So I just think he's got the talent. It's a massive. You you have to like completely different cultures. He's traveling outside of the US. Um, mm. you know, different food. All his home comforts are gone. I think you have to put all this in perspective, but fair play to him. He's taken this um, as well as anyone could. And I think he's only going to grow um, throughout this year. And not only is he only going to grow throughout this year, whether he stays in the UK or he goes back to America, he's going to go back. If he goes back to America, he's going to be a better rider and a better person, I believe, because of the experience he's had this year. I yep. do believe, though, we are going to see some lightning performances and it won't be too long before we start to see him um, knocking on that top seven, top five door. Yeah, absolutely. It takes him a little bit of time to obviously recalibrate to motocross as well and never ridden a Kawasaki. And there's, there's, whole, there's so many things that he's having to deal with. That, that so are, many. And, you know, obviously, yeah, he'd been racing Supercross this season, didn't go as planned. I think I spoke to him back in December and he was like, really looking forward to the season, um, Supercross, um, you know, getting top tens and, you know, he's really establishing himself in there. And it just didn't work out. He had a lot of bad luck, a lot of few few mistakes and things. So it kind of came at a good time sort of hearing him and he's just such a positive kid like he's um you can tell he's just relishing it and he's enjoying being around it and just learning and he's he's just open to the new experiences and it's pretty cool seeing another kawasaki doing well obviously and and because the f and h guys um i know you've got something lined up with mark because the season probably hasn't gone as well as they would have liked and speaking to lorenzo he was um a little bit underwhelmed with it and he knows that um they're putting in the effort the bike's good it's just not quite coming together for Hogmail and Braceros, is it? Have you got any sort of further takes on on the reasons behind that? No, uh, I, I had to give Mark a hug in um, Trentino because <laughs> he was so down. And I've kind of, um, uh, every every GP I got to him and said, are you ready? And he's like, no, no, I'm not ready. <laughs> so uh, we are going to get to a point where he is ready to to talk and in, in, in sit down, which will be great because I think it'll be a fantastic podcast. Um you you can't fault the effort that Natalie, Mark, and everybody puts into that team. And, and again, it must be hugely frustrating. And, and you know that Kevin is doing everything he can. David is still young. He's still learning. Uh, really nice kid. Um, you know, and, and, and he's been thrown in at the deep end. So um, it's just not quite working out for him. And But the, the crazy thing is, is everybody knows that Horgamo's got the speed. So... You know, it's going to be one of those things where maybe they just need a little bit of luck. Uh, they get that gate and and then they can start stringing those performances together. And I think it's just going to take one little break. Um, that's what I know from the outside um, and, and just talking to the guys. If there's other stuff going on, then I'm sure it will come to light. But the one thing what we, we have got this year in MXGP and MX2 is just this massive um, silly season, which is going to be coming up. Yeah. So... At the moment, we know Herlins is on a two-year contract. We know that the HRC boys are going to be there for next year um, as they've got contracts. Um, but pretty much everybody else is, um, you know, you, we know that Gertz is going to be going up to um, the Monster Energy MXGP team, which uh, you've got to believe that they're going to be, uh, uh, we already, uh, sorry, we do know that Renault has signed a, a longer contract. So we know he's going to be there. So if you've got Gertz and you've got um, Renault and well, you've you got a factor got in Orgmo and Van der Moes, Dyke and Pansar moving up, aren't they? 
Absolutely, yeah. So the the question marks are: Will Jeremy stay at Yamaha, um, or will he move on? Um, you got to believe that Gertz is probably going to come up and replace Koldenov. So Koldenov's going to be on the market. You would have thought. Um, Do you and think then Blake you've got gets that factory ride? Um, obviously, he definitely deserves it. Who? Sorry, Blandrin's probably definitely, and you Blandrin. got factory ride. And I know Ferrato's got a very good bike, so he's probably like his bike's quite close to factory. Lorenzo was saying, and, and very good parts on that. And then you got guys like Pacharel, Gio, Van Donick as well that are that are that will be fighting for those spots too. And it's pretty competitive, isn't it? Yeah, I I have a sneaky suspicion that um, Triumph will go for somebody like Vlanderen and um, uh, Koldenhoff. So um, as much as they would like a you know as a British company and and have a British uh, rider on there, I could just said I could see them going with somebody like uh, if they're going to be a full factory team, then somebody like Vlanderen um, who's going to be that consistent guy. And Glenn Koldenoff is obviously got a fan, you know, has the ability to to win races as does as does Calvin. Um, that's two riders that they could run with next year who would be a solid pairing for a factory team. So um, I think there's going to be so many movers and shakers next year. Um, whether somebody um, like JWR or something looks at somebody like uh, Jan Pansar and, and basically you know looks at looks at him in uh, Maximilian Spees and just says, well, actually, these guys are the future of, of MXGP, um, you know, coming through. They work hard. They understand, um, you know, that type of thing. Uh, Ustland, I, be- I believe, will be there at JWR next year. Um, but I, I could definitely see. Um, and, and the other thing as well is we might have, like, changes in machinery as well with some of the teams. So yeah. nothing's set in stone at the moment. So, um, and I'm I'm guessing... Have you got um, news on standard. Febro? Is he obviously he's he's up to at Kawasaki, isn't he? And so he's yeah, he's um, up. But I believe um I, I believe they'll carry on with um with Febro at Kawasaki. I think they they see him as a guy who can win them a championship. So um it'll be very interesting um who that that number two is. Will they will they persevere with with Mitch for a year or two, or will they bring somebody in like Calvin or another rider? Um. A uh, Van Moostike, mm. you know, sort looks of coming like, up um, in, in. So I was going to say, Mitch looks like he's adapted quite well under that awning, though, hasn't he? Obviously, you know, tacker well, and they do a lot of testing, and um, you know, it looks like a pretty good environment for him once the result starts coming. Um, fingers crossed that he, yeah, that he sort of um can keep that ride because he's he's just so good, isn't he? Like the talent's just immense. Even though I'm an Aussie and I'm I'm, I'm biased in a way, but he is actually like a lot of guys say it. He's just a super talent, super fast. He looks like he's not trying when he's at the peak of his powers and just moving like we saw last year in those qualifying races. So, um, yeah, just your take being at the races. He's he's happy, Mitch, and just waiting for just to get back to his level, yeah? Yeah, massively. And, and do you know what? Kazaki won't do any wrong with staying with Mitch. And 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 we're saying that now based on him coming back from from injury and, and, and possibly people are going to say, oh, the results aren't justified. The guy's just been, uh, you know, just completed a second GP. Um and, and the other guys are now on their, you know, set the intensity, as I mentioned when JT was on the show earlier. The intensity is there. He missed pre-season too, didn't he? All of it, really. Yeah, you know, literally with, with the thumb injury, he sort of came back to, to Argentina just to see if he can, if he could sort of get any. And it did look quite good in the um, in the qualifying mm. on the Saturday, but it just didn't hold out for the rest of the race. So, um, I, I, Ian, 
I spoke to Antti and Antti's like, yeah, I'm really happy with Mitch and everything else. Like it's, it's a process and we're going through it. He fits into the team really well. So, you know, um, you know, so, but for, for me, you know what he can do. So as much as I, 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 you know, I see what people are saying and da, 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 he's always injured and, and all the rest of it. Um, there's always that we know what he can do and he is just going to get better throughout the year. So, I, I I think he's just massively frustrated at the moment because he's not been able to show people what he can do. So, um, yeah, I I, I don't his mindset at the moment he's just frustrated. So yeah. you know if you we like speaking to him and everything else, he's kind of a little bit kind of just pissed with himself. Just wants to be better. Yeah, because he obviously uncovered at the Nations. He had that massive injury he was riding with, and he did really well. And and um, I was speaking to Jace and and uh, Reese Bud, a couple of Aussies, uh, in the last couple of weeks, and just saying if. If he's not up to nations like the Aussie, the, the state of um, Aussie motocross talent's really high. Obviously, you look at the MX1 class and there's like Beaton, Webster, Tanty, Clout, Ferris is winning, Waters, um, Gibbs, Duffy, Metcalf still going like the state of play in Aussie motocross is great. And in the 250 class, Wilson, Todd, and Nathan Crawford are just absolute animals. And you obviously know Todd well. Um, he was, you know, getting top fives in MX2 and not that long ago. And so if, if the, the options were there, if, if Mitch didn't have it, you could. You could move up. Um, you'd have the two Lawrence brothers on four fifties, and you could have uh, even Ferris or one of those guys, or or Crawford or Todd on a two fifty, or you could you could chuck Beaton on the four fifty and have Hunter on the two fifty. Like it's pretty cool seeing the Aussies, mate, are uh, doing pretty well. So hopefully we're coming for a win at the Nations this year. Is um and has there been much excitement about the Nations already? Obviously being in Europe this year, it should be a pretty massive event too, like last year. You getting pumped? Yeah, I think. T- Ticket sales are going really well, so I've been told. And, you know, the Nations is going to be huge. Um, but I think everybody is just so fixated on on uh, GPs at the moment. There's not yeah. really been much talk of Paddock about MXGP, uh, Mercross and Nations. So um, I think, uh, you know, I think everybody's like looking at this as a lot to play for. And I think a lot of people are trying to put their, their, their pieces into play about who's going to go where. So um, with... Uh, the way the, so obviously that some riders do bring some sponsors yeah so you know that's another thing to bear in mind is that um this year is is tough budgets are tough it's been really hard out there for a lot of teams mm. and i only believe it's going to get harder yeah, yeah for next year so again that's going to play uh into the hands as well with of you know riders as well with what brands are, are they can bring in which are going to bring in some money as well so is it I guess it's a little bit like a bit like the Formula One, where some drivers are, are have got some positions within teams because of um, yeah. who they're sponsored by. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that's that's going to have an element coming into it as well, sort of going forward. In the fact that Brian Bogers got flew back by SF uh, on yeah. a private plane <laughs> uh, should tell you should tell you uh, quite a lot. So. Um, you know, when you got these 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 big guys, big companies which are outside of the sport, which love the sport, but they're nothing to do with with, with the sport, but are able to pay people's wages and um, put a bit of money into the team and stuff like that, then that that does change the game a little bit. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think nations. I think we're going to start to feel the nations hype, um, possibly around about sort of uh, the end part of June, July. But it's going to be a great season because we. Not only at that time you've got, we'll start to know who's where. And and I always find it really funny, uh, Ed, because I'll be walking around the pits and it's pretty brazen. You'll see some riders just sat in other teams' pits having a meeting. And uh, you're just like, 
and, and then people get pissed that we talk about it and it's like well you're not doing a great <laughs> job at hiding it's like it's like how how can, how can i get this wrong so um yeah, we're probably going to get a lot of disgruntled people uh, with us around about sort of July just by basically saying what we see in the pit. So my my advice is probably try and do it in the truck. Yeah. Um, well, there we go. But um, and, and yeah, just so, quickly, a, a fat just from being on the on the ground at the GPs, the fans look like they've been great. The atmosphere and the vibes have looked like they've been really strong. Um, obviously Spain with the grandstands and the location close to the Madrid and the airport and close to the highway and the shopping center and there's lots of stuff to do around there and um. Like the access was, it was a really well organized GP from all reports. Um, just the fans looks like they're coming back in droves this year. And have you have you noticed that? And the the vibes have been good every round. Yeah, yeah, it's been insane. And when you think that we we've not even like we're now starting to get to the popular GPs, which is kind of like uh you know like the French, the German, uh Belgium, and so on. So in, in like Netherlands is going to be huge as well. So, um, you know we. we Trentino was was just insane. Portugal insane. Uh, Spain insane. Um, you know That's the only guys were at Trentino a, as well. They looked like they were loving Jeremy C were there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the only one which was a little bit kind of um, lackluster, I guess, was 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 Sardinia. Um, yeah. It, you know, even Argentina was just. We had a police escort to the track on the Sunday just because it was so busy. Um, so it's like I definitely think MXGP's back with a bang, um, and and obviously they got the the new paddock um, show, which I don't know. I think it could be a lot, you know, a lot more. Um, at the moment, they kind of got introducing um, riders to the crowd, which is basically kind of like a monster rig riot type thing in in interviewing them. And they got, I think it's the French dude who they got who um, does the Paris Supercross. He's very enthusiastic. So. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> Not my cup of tea, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I I think the paddock show could be could be a lot cooler. I think like the whole podcast vibe, I think would be really cool. I like what JT and Steve Mathis do with the fly. Um, mm. I just you know, I, I just sometimes I think like um, uh, they do things to tick it off, and and and, and they see that as progression. Where I think it could be, um, you know, a little bit more. So um, but you know like. You can't knock it in Spain. The crowd left it, and uh, so there we go. Proof is in the pudding, I guess. But um, yeah, I think uh, I think that's about it. Now, hey, we got a top, we got a top three for France. Um, yep. We've pretty much covered uh, what's going on, and the next part, you know, next part is going to be uh, what have we got coming up on X- MX uh, Vice this week. We've got um, you've released all the uh, the GP information for France, Ed. Yeah, we'll probably do a bit of a how to watch thing just for the timetables and everything. We'll get this podcast up. Obviously, we've had um had a Lapino podcast at the start of the week. Uh, had one with Gypsy Tales, Jace McElpine. Uh, we've just sort of posted yeah the other day. So yeah, there's been plenty of content. I think we've done about you know close to 15 podcasts in the last three weeks. Um, with riders like Blandrin, Simon Langenfeld. We've had some great pods with Lorenzo, which uh, we're looking forward to getting you back on, mate. Um. We've had Adamo on there too. Uh, there's been there's, there's been Everts uh, was on pretty recently too. So we've had Renault at Switzerland. So we're getting some good riders there. We're really grateful for them taking the time, and they're pretty happy to be um, on MX Vice. And had a few things with Sterry, obviously, and was just wanted to shout out to him for his win on the weekend. Bloody good ride, and he's coming. He wants to be back in the GPs full time, so he's on the on the path there, mate. But um, yeah, the content's good. Um, everything's going well. People seem to be receiving the podcast pretty well, and. 
we even tried an injury special with um Aussie bloke here with me, David, and obviously he's a physio and covers the injuries yeah. in the sport. So that was something um that was pretty well received. But no, nah, it's going, it's all going pretty good, mate. We're glad to have you back on board now with the pods. Yeah, I mean, I've really missed the show, actually. So, you know, uh, what was it? Um, Absence grows the heart fonder, maybe. Maybe I'm actually <laughs> back in love with, with the podcast show. And uh, I'm definitely back in love with MX Vice. Um, this year has been really good. And uh, I can't thank everybody who listens, who takes the time to listen to the show, takes the time to come on to MX Vice. Uh, I've met so many cool people this year, and they do understand the, the you know, the, the hardships we've been up against. It hasn't been easy. We've rebuilt a business. But we, today... Uh, which is only May the 18th. And, uh, you know, we still got a few hours ago of the day, but today we've had our 300,000th play of the podcast this year, which is absolutely just ridiculous, incredible. So just to give you an idea of, we've we done 325,000 plays in the whole of um, 2022. We're already at 300,000 plays um, and and it's May the, May the 18th. So, just unbelievable i never thought mx i thought i hit or we hit a um a peak with mx vice i had no idea there was still growth so um the fact of what we're doing on the website with social and and now with podcasts is just amazing i can't thank um everybody who spends the time to sort of listen to what we got to say um the the brands which help us get to gps um you know you guys rock so um we i i love what we do ed you're doing a cracking job um and it just goes to show three hundred thousand plays in in you know in five and a bit months is just incredible yeah mate it's definitely there we're all enjoying doing the work and the, the team's all doing a great job from um yeah ben and brad are doing their their great thing with their podcast too and you and jeremy at the gps and jeremy with the vids and yeah mate it's it's all going in a, in a right in the right direction that's for sure and We'll just keep trying to bring the content to the people, and obviously they they're enjoying it with the with the numbers. And I think with the podcast, what really kicked off the year with a bang was the Doc Wob one. So um, that's kind of just it was just a sort of a tell all stories pod, and people absolutely loved it. So I'm sure you got some more of those yeah. kind of things. I know one like a like a big one with Mark DeRuvers on the cards, and we might uh, we definitely yeah. have the World Supercross guys on, and maybe Luongo at some point from in front. Like there's some there's some stuff in the pipe work, isn't there? Yeah, we've got some really good ones lined up. The the, the basically the um the inside motor show, which the first one with Doc Wob is was just incredible. It was um just just massive. And I think the reason being is because obviously Doc Wob's well known within America. Yeah. He's been around for a long time. Um, so that was just a huge, huge success. And I think that kind of opened us up to a lot of different people who probably possibly hadn't listened to uh, MX Vice before. And and we've you know, from that podcast, we've, we, we managed to sort of bring in a lot more, you know, different people, but the podcast, which we have got lined up and, and the inside motor show is going to be possibly going to be like sort of 10 to, to 15 by the end of the year. Um, it's just been really hard to do because a lot of the people I've wanted to interview, um, are, are just busy. So it's, yeah. I'm playing to their game, not to our game. So, um, yeah, that the inside motor show will be back. Um, and I'm trying to do different people, which possibly wouldn't appear on, say, our standard podcast show. Yeah. So that's that, that the whole thing. So, um, and there's some really interesting people uh, within the pits and, and behind the scenes, which I mean, you know, I really intend to get on. Um, but it's just a waiting game for 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 some of these guys. So, um, and a lot of the people actually that I'm, I'm, I've got lined up, Ed, is it's difficult for them to speak. Yes. So yeah. they're in 
quite you know um you know powerful positions in in they they want to speak but they've got to do it at the right time so yeah. um it's the sort of thing i can push so but when they do speak it's it's gonna be awesome yeah, we definitely want to give a special thanks to, you know, Lorenzo Resta and, and Jason Thomas for giving up their time pretty much every week to um, come on our shows and and uh, support us. And they they love doing it. And I know that we love having them on. And the listener numbers reflect how much the fans enjoy it too. And, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a pretty cool little um, little pathway we're on, mate. And we'll just try to keep it going in the same direction. But, yeah, I think the, the inside moto stuff definitely um, sort of just gives that bit of extra insight, especially – um, that you might not get from people that are currently, you know, maybe working in the industry. And it's especially good for some of the historical stuff like um, you've touched on. And maybe even one day, I think um, Valentina from KTM would be pretty awesome to get on. Cause I think I remember Lorenzo telling me she's the only person that's been there for every one of Jeffrey's um, GP wins and, you know, been alongside uh, kind of mothering all those champions she has within that framework. So that'd be a pretty good one to, to get one day too. Yeah, definitely. If I can ever catch her at a GP when she's yeah. not busy, which is impossible, <laughs> I think I might have to go over to Italy and uh, sit her down in between the races. But um, that's it for episode 126. Huge thanks for uh, JT taking time out of his vacation and his busy schedule this year to uh, to join us on the show. Huge thanks to Ed Stratman, uh, MXY's editor, who's literally been holding down the fort while uh I've um, had these interesting Wi-Fi issues, um, which it just I never thought was going to end, but it's so good to be back. Uh, and thank you to the show sponsors. Parts Europe distributes parts, accessories, and rider equipment for all motorbike segments in Europe. We support the sport. It's fortified through the Four and Moose house brands and their support of world elite MX riders like Calvin Vlanderen, Jorge Prado, Lagenfelder, Guadagini, Jonas Bogers, and nine times world champ and four ambassador, Tony Caroli. Your Parts Europe dealer has access to all the big brands for your motocross and enduro bike, Necken, Pro Circuit, FMF, ODI, Cycra, Renful, Recluse, and many, many more are in stock and ready to be shipped. Huge thank you to Kawasaki UK. They have got the KLX 140 Uh Amazingly, at 3,700 of the king's pangs, I should say, not queen anymore. Um, so Kawasaki UK have come on board this month, which is uh, fantastic. AS3 Performance Parts. Check out asreperformanceparts.co.uk. Uh, they have pretty much every part for your bike. Uh, very, very good prices. Very, very good products. Um, shipped to Europe in one to two days. Um, four to five to the U.S., uh, definitely give those guys a shout. You know, we wouldn't be doing this show without them. They've been a, a big part of what we've been doing this year. Uh, a huge thanks to Ben and the team. Uh, even strokes, uh, pretty much 10% of everything that uh, is spent on even strokes comes back into MX Vice. So um, use the code mxvice.com. Uh, uh, those guys over there have got Xtrig, uh, Prox, Motorex, uh, Just One. Uh, Sintol oils, Max's Michelin, uh, DID chain, everything you can think of for your bike, those guys have got it over there. Um, and 10% of whatever you spend on evenstrokes.com uh, go straight back into MX Vice. So um, a huge thank you to um, everybody who's who's buying their parts and kit from Even Strokes because it really does help us do this. Um, that's it for episode 126. Huge thank you to sponsors. Thanks, Ed. 
Uh, always a pleasure and um, look forward to uh, catching up with you throughout the weekend in France. Thanks, mate. No worries. Thanks for having us. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining us. And yeah, all the best for the weekend, mate. Have a good one. Brilliant. Cheers, guys. And uh, see you next week.